This is Hypercritical, a weekly talk show ruminating on exactly what is wrong in the world of Apple and related technologies and businesses. Nothing is so perfect that it can't be complained about by your friend and mine, co-host of this show, John Syracuse. I'm Dan Benjamin. Today is Friday, September 7th, 2012. It's episode number 84 of this broadcast. We would like to thank our sponsors, sourcebits.com, squarespace.com, hover.com, for making this show possible, bringing it to you, making the whole thing possible. Bandwidth for this month of September has been sponsored by Igloo, your digital workplace. It means you can give updates and have discussions and share files with your team. You can do it all in one place. Sign up, get started, igloosoftware.com slash 5 by 5 how are you today, Mr. John? Is it John or Jonathan? Is it short for Jonathan? We've done this before. Now you're repeating Can't remember. yourself. You, well, see. You said I'm it was gonna, just John, if I remember right. Was it just John? That's what it is. All right. I'm down with that. On my birth certificate, the long form. <laughs> do you keep that? Is that? Do you keep it with you in your wallet? I have no idea where that is, actually. Someone <laughs> brought that up recently when they were talking about some political thing. It's like, do you know where your birth certificate is? I don't know where mine is. I mean, I'm sure it's somewhere. In the house. I think you can get it reissued from the hospital if you need to. Yeah, probably. I mean, what if your house burned down? You have there's someone else has to have a copy. Right. Yeah, I know, but I'm just saying like it's not it's not readily at hand. I I think you should be prepared to bring that out at a moment's notice. Right. It's real it's real important. You never know. Someone comes over, comes to the house, can you prove that you're born here? That's how I you cannot. All right. Today we have uh we got lucky again with the uh, the announcement stuff. Right? Yeah, man, t- your timing is impeccable. Yeah, Amazon had their <laughs> tablet thing. Was it yesterday? I guess it was yesterday, right? Yeah, it was yesterday. Uh, yesterday, and they came out with some new exciting devices that uh, right. everybody is thrilled to be talking about today. I've got a little bit of follow up before that, and after that, if we have time, I still have that ebook topic, which is actually like Amazon related. Uh, but I have a feeling the Amazon tablet stuff is going to go along, and then maybe we'll just cap the show there. But we'll see. Maybe I won't have that much to say about the tablets. All right. Uh, I apologize for the not-so-organized state of my notes on the tablets because it was just yesterday, and I barely had time to actually watch the presentation, which was pretty long. It was like an hour and ten minutes or something like that, mm-hmm. and try to gather up all the info. Uh, obviously, I haven't seen these things. In person, they're too new. I've read a couple of articles about it. I've watched the presentation. I've looked at Amazon's web pages. So that's the curse of being like the first one to get it is you don't have time to like survey the web and read all the articles about it from the people who are actually at the press conference and got to handle them and digest the stuff, you know. So we're just going to go off the cuff and talk about those. But before we do that, two small items of follow up. Uh, so the first one is from Joseph Poe, P-O-H. I'm going to go with Poe on that one. Uh, And he says that I mentioned in passing on the last show that I leave my laptops plugged in. Uh, And that is true because they're all sitting on desks like one. I was wondering if we were going to get someone asking about this. Yeah, the MacBook Air is hooked up to the big Thunderbolt display that I had all those problems with, which, by the way, now seems to be cured. I don't know if I brought this up, but it went back to the Apple store again, came back. And this time, fingers crossed, everything is fine. It works the way it's supposed to again. Did you bring the, the, the machine or the display or what, what, the what display. was fixed? The display went in twice and they replaced the, like, the entire guts of the display at least like three times because the first time it went in they re- replaced the guts but the new guts didn't work so they replaced the guts again 
and that worked for a little while but not really so i brought it back and they replaced the guts again and this one is working uh i did extend the warranty though like just as it was about to expire i said well this thing seems like it's pretty cranky and i have very little faith in the uh the internals of this thing because like you just get one and it's bad you're like oh well, i got unlucky and they replace it with new components and you're fine like that happens all the time with any type of piece of hardware you, you get unlucky the one you get had a manufacturing defect or something like it's dead on arrival or some part of the motherboard is broken or something burns out or something was put together poorly and you get a new one and it's fine like it's not a design problem it's just like a manufacturing problem this one wasn't put together right but when you have a problem and you're bringing in and they replace it and they replace it again and they replace it again and you still have problems like this isn't a manufacturing problem like you're not going to get unlucky three times in a row this is some kind of design problem like it was some part of the design of this thing is not right either they didn't design it so it had enough power or they designed it in such a way that it doesn't remove heat well enough or there's some component that ends up being faulty or there's a firmware problem or like you have no idea but it's like it's clearly when it happens three times in a row it's not a manufacturing flaw uh, so anyway, I have very little faith in the internals of Thunderbolt display. I don't recommend them to people. The display itself looks fine. This is all about the ports and the stuff in the back. But that's the whole reason I bought the Thunderbolt display. So my current one, fingers crossed, is working perfectly now. No problems whatsoever. But I did extend the warranty to, like, whatever. You get extra two years for the Apple yeah. Care thing. Yeah, smart idea. Because yeah, It's worth the 100 bucks because I don't want to have to replace a $1,000 monitor. Because really, if, if if those ports in the back die, this thing is basically useless to me. For the purpose it's intended, it's supposed to turn the MacBook Air into a full desktop thing with, you know, gigabit Ethernet and FireWire ports. And I use all those features. There's stuff connected to every single one of those holes in the back, except maybe one or two of the USBs might be open. Uh, so anyway, that's why that MacBook Air is constantly plugged in, because it's used as, as a desktop machine most of the time, except when we're traveling or, you know, bring it upstairs to the bedroom or something. So my other my other laptop is uh, an older MacBook Pro, which is also always plugged in because that was used as also as kind of a desktop replacement, only sort of all in one because it had all the ports already on it and a larger screen than the 13 inch MacBook Air and all that stuff. Uh, so this question from Joseph is uh, he's been obsessing over this and he says uh, app, that Apple recommends a discharge at least once every month uh, to uh, as there you know to try to keep the battery long lasting or whatever. And he wants to know uh, what my what the deal is with that. Because I mentioned offhand that I that I keep it plugged in and don't like it. Well, so the first thing I'm going to say is that Apple's recommendation of discharging at least once a month, as far as I'm aware, they re- that recommendation is so that the little thing that estimates how long the battery life is will get calibrated. Uh, you know, the the thing in the corner that says how much time is left in the battery. That's just a guess, and it guesses based on how long the battery lasted last time you used it. And if you never bring it from full charge down to almost empty, it has no idea how long does it really, how long do you really have left. So it just has to guess, and the guess becomes increasingly inaccurate uh, if you just never let it charge all the way. Uh, and and I mentioned that uh, keeping it plugged in is bad for the battery, and it is because uh, lithium-ion batteries that are used in these laptops don't like to be kept charged all the time. Now, all rechargeable batteries are eventually going to lose their capacity and will take less charge and will just eventually become completely useless after a couple of years. That's just a, a physical nature of the device. There's nothing you can do to, uh, to keep your battery from eventually going bad. Uh, but there are certain things that you can do to keep it alive longer. And I like to the site I've gone to a couple times. It seems to have a pretty good Google rank, and uh, that's good because I think it's a reasonable... It's an entire website dedicated to this called Battery University. And one of the pages that I linked in the show notes to the things, uh, on this site says, 
The worst situation is keeping a fully charged battery at elevated temperatures. This is the case when running a laptop off the power grid. Under these conditions, the battery will typically last for about two years. Uh, so this really is the worst case scenario for a battery because when you keep it plugged in, most laptops power saving things say, okay, well, I'm plugged in. I can really crank up the CPU and I can use the big fancy GPU and I don't have to be in power saving mode because I'm plugged in. And that will make the laptop hotter. And sitting in that lap- hot laptop basically doing nothing is the battery that's just cooking uh, and it's also fully charged the entire time. Now, the thing about uh, lithium ions, this is the thing about uh, technology, is that it's very easy for something about an earlier technology to get into the psyche of the public, and it's very difficult to dislodge it. So other battery technologies before lithium ion had things about, oh, well, you have to do a deep discharge once in a while, or you have to, you know... uh, do this to it to make sure the battery doesn't have a memory of like if you don't charge it and discharge it and you just leave it in the middle it'll, it'll do horrible things so it's always remember fully discharge and fully charge every once in a while and that that got into people's brains like a couple decades ago that is not true of modern lithium-ion batteries but people still think it's true because they just see a rechargeable battery and they're like oh you have to do that you got to do the deep discharge uh that's not the case with lithium-ion there's no memory which is what they would call it when the battery wouldn't uh charge and discharge for lithium-ion batteries you don't need to periodically fully discharge them. In fact, fully discharging lithium-ion batteries until you get like every ounce of energy out of them is not a good idea. Uh, the what's the, only what's reason, the proper process then? What are you supposed to do? Well, so I linked to another page on the Battery University, which is like how to store lithium-ion batteries. And you're like, well, I'm not storing it. I'm just leaving it there. Well, so the first thing is keeping, keeping it plugged in all the time. You might as well be storing the battery because it's not really being used in that scenario. Uh, and there's two conditions in storage. One is the temperature, and high temperatures are bad. And if you're keeping your laptop plugged in all the time, it's going to be at a higher temperature if you're using your computer a lot than it would be if you were actually storing the battery elsewhere. Uh, but the second thing about that is, like, with, with storage or whatever, it's like, how much charge should I keep in the battery? Say I was just putting my laptop up on the shelf. Should I fully charge the laptop and then, like, shut it down and put it on the shelf for a month? Should I completely discharge it and put it on the shelf for a month? And this Battery University storage page thing uh, has a bunch of numbers and graphs trying to explain uh, what the best uh, how best to store your batteries and I think where it comes down is the old and I've heard this many times and it continues to be confirmed by this thing is that try to keep it at a moderate temperature and try to keep it at 40% charge that is the the, where you want where you want your battery to be when you're storing it Uh, and that's another one of those numbers that will enter into the public consciousness if it's repeated enough. Oh, you're supposed to keep your batteries at 40% charge. Like, if you're going to put your iPad in a drawer for a month while you go on vacation somewhere, put it at 40% charge because that's the best for the battery. While that may be true now, when battery technology changes in another five years, it won't be true. So don't latch on to the 40% charge thing and, like, be trumpeting it at five years from now without rechecking uh, the facts on it. But I put these two links in the show notes. I think people should read these. It's kind of mind-numbing to go through. Uh, the reason I bring this up, though, is that I've always been annoyed that Apple and other, well, maybe other laptop manufacturers do this. I don't know. I just know Apple. But I've always wanted Apple to do for me what I occasionally feel like I should do on my own, which is unplug my plugged-in laptops for a little while and let them discharge a little bit and, like, plug them back in when they're around 30%, you know? Like, if you're planning on keeping it plugged in for a long time, it would be nice if you had the option to tell the operating system uh, you know, run off the battery for a little while. Try to keep yourself around 40% charge, in other words. Uh, so, you know, take from the power supply when you need to and, you know, don't don't keep the power limited if someone wants to use some, 
fancy GPU thing or crank the CPU, then by all means, pull off the power grid, but also don't leave your battery topped off. And the reason they don't do that is because you wouldn't want your battery to be plugged in all the time, and then you're going to leave for the day, and you, and you take it out, and you realize it's at 40% charge. You're like, but it's been plugged in all night. Why are you at 40% charge, right? So I understand why it's not the default, but it would be nice if that was an option to, for someone who could say, okay, I'm going to keep the laptop plugged in all the time. The operating system, please keep it at 40% charge until I say otherwise. Because that would really prolong the life of the battery. It wouldn't help with the heat situation, but it might help with the other stuff. Uh, and maybe it would give the battery times a little bit better chance because if you keep discharging it at least halfway, maybe it would have some idea, but I don't know. So anyway, yeah, don't keep your laptops plugged in all the time. If you can possibly help it, I can't really possibly help it. What, I, what happens to me every time I try to like unplug it for a little while is I forget that I did that and I come back and it's like completely drained the battery and gone to sleep or hibernation or whatever. Um, so it's not a satisfactory answer, but that them's the breaks with current battery technology. It's not ideal. And if you're going to keep your thing plugged in all the time, and of course you don't have the option like you did on the old Mac laptops to simply remove the battery because, you know, now they're built in. So you can't get that battery out of there. All the limitations of technology. It's almost a problem if you're not using your laptop really as, as a laptop, the way that it was intended, that seems to be the only if you know, and a lot of people, I think these days do use it that way. But for those of us who have a laptop that is kind of a stationary machine that stays put, you got to break the rules a little. Yeah, or just resign yourself to your battery being uh, going bad in, right. in a short amount of time, and, and just, just think of it as a desktop machine. It's a desktop machine. Yeah, I mean, I had the MacBook Pro. I've got here. It's the one right before they went to the unibody MacBook Pro. I had to buy a new battery for it uh, just just this past year because the old one was just, you know, would have like an hour and a half of charge at full charge. And it was just completely fried. And it was completely fried from being plugged in for, you know, however many years. You know, it got unplugged when I went on trips. And that happens rarely. And that's about it. And when it traveled around the house, maybe it would be unplugged, but it rarely did that. So can you do? All right. The second piece of follow-up is from Jaideep Jezrani, who uh, in the last show we talked about the iPhone 5 and uh, how Anatech said it probably wouldn't have an NFC in it because the, the NFC antenna to work very well needs to be a little bit bigger than there is apparently room for on the rumored iPhone 5 design thing. Uh, and he brings up an interesting point that if the iPhone overall design is changed like every two generations of the product, like you get the 4 and the 4S, presumably and you know three and the three gs presumably we'll have the five and the five whatever does that mean that we won't see nfc until like the end of 2014 because if there's no nfc in, in the upcoming iphone that probably means there won't be nfc in the iphone after that so that puts nfc at least two years out uh i buy that if there's no nfc in this phone i don't think there will be nfc in the next phone uh, i also think there's not probably a lot of pre- competitive pressure on Apple to put that in there. Not because other people aren't doing it, but just because the other people who are doing it are not setting the world on fire with that technology, at least in the U.S. Uh, and Apple seems more committed to its passbook thing, which uses the screen and uh, visual reader type devices and QR codes and stuff like that instead of NFC. Of course, the danger of this is that one of those guys with NFC or some NFC-based system becomes a hit, and now Apple is behind, and they have to scramble to get NFC into their phone as soon as possible. It would be better if Apple was leading here and saying, we're going to build an NFC, and we're going to make our play to try to make it a useful thing. But right now, uh, as we said in the last show, Apple is pretty conservative, and unless they have like a formed, completely set plan 
for how NFC is going to make an iPhone more valuable to you. They're not going to spend the money to buy the part and spend the space inside the case to put it in there. It's not like they're they're definitely not a manufacturer who says, and who knows, maybe someone will find a use for this NFC thing. Let's just throw it in there. Like, let's add a USB port, an SD card slot, and an NFC. It's not how they operate. They don't just throw hardware at the wall and see what sticks. They need to have a plan, and currently they have no plan for NFC. So uh, then if they have no NFC in the phone, that's what that means. So I I completely buy that. If there's no NFC on the 12th in the supposed phone that's going to come out, probably no NFC until 2014. Which may or may not be a bummer, depending on how you feel about the prospects of that technology. Uh, that's it for my follow-up. Let's do a, uh, a quick sponsor and then kick the show off. Sure. For sponsor, Hover.com. Simplified domain management. You go there, you register a domain. And this is what I... a lot of, do, you, do you register a lot of domains, John? Did you have your mic unplugged? I did not have my mic unplugged. I have my mic muted, and I continue not to be able to find the mute button on Skype. I thought someone built you a special application for that, too. No, no, no. I don't have a, a, a muting, unmuting. But I don't register as many domains as some people. But I register more than I should, let's say that. You know, that's the thing. And that this is what I'm encouraging people to do. If you like these shows and you want to support us, the next time you think you want to register a domain, go to hover.com slash me. You'll get 10% off if you use Dan sent me as the, uh, the promo code and try it and see if you like it. And that's, that's how they won me over. I've been using another service for a long time and I was pretty content. Like the checkout process was, it was all right. It wasn't great because they would always try and upsell me on other things. And even, even the good ones seem to do that a little bit. And it, it, you know, it was kind of a pain. It was kind of a pain in the neck. And if I, if I wanted to use them for DNS, which I usually do, then I would have to deal with all their, their whole interface and jumping around back and forth. It was nothing about it was easy. Nothing about it was pleasant. It wasn't awful. And then uh, these hover guys, I found them and I tried them and it's, it couldn't be easier and faster to just get in there. You, they have a, a search box. You type in the domain or the phrase or a keyword or just whatever it is that you think you want it to check. And it will go out there and it will check to see if the domain is available, obviously. But if it's not, it'll come up with a bunch of really good suggestions. Domain names that might work. Different extensions you hadn't thought to try. You click the little plus button and, and check out. You're done. You can use PayPal to pay. You can use whatever you want to pay. But there are real human beings behind the scenes. So if you have a problem or like if you want to do something, like let's say you go there, register a domain and it's great and you like it. And you're like, well, I want to, I want to transfer my domains. They have a transfer valet service. They'll they'll handle the whole transfer process for you. And that's a, that can be a, a very tedious process. But they do it. They have real people there who will help you, who understand, and, uh, and, and their service is just simple. And the only time they ever bother you is if your domain name is about to expire, they'll say, well, we're going we're to renew this for you. Unless you don't want us to, then cancel. And then you never hear from them again. I like that. And the way they get away with this is they hope that people like the experience enough and not being bothered that you'll come back. There's one checkbox. There's one decision you need to make when you're registering. And that is, do you want who is privacy? I always check. I leave the box checked. I don't uncheck it. And they don't charge you for it. It's built in. So go check these guys out. Think you'll like them. I do. Hover.com slash Dan sent me 10% off. Much as you want. Check them out. 
I use that code when I do. I feel guilty about that. Why? Doesn't seem weird to like using your own discount code <laughs> to get a break on. Not if you have the domain registration problem I have, where you yeah. register one every couple of days. You need all the help you can get. Yeah, you're eligible. It's not Although like now, it's not like you're an employee of McDonald's and you can't you know yeah, maybe that's, win that's the free saying, fries yeah. or whatever. No. Although now, like whenever I go to any site that's a sponsor, I just start typing in like Dan sent me, Dan sent me eight, Dan sent me nine, and <laughs> <just, laughs> yeah, different code. ones. Yeah. Sometimes I forget which is which. I eventually get it though. All right, Amazon tablets and stuff. Did you watch the presentation? I watched the first. It's long, like you were saying. It's a long presentation. I think I got through the first four or five hours of it uh, before I passed out uh, and went unconscious. I find Bezos, Bezos, Bezos. How do you pronounce it? Bezos is how I'm going to say it. All right, so I, I find his presentation style a little weird. A little bit off-putting, and I'm not sure why. Like he does, he does a fine job. There's nothing. I can't pinpoint anything that he's doing wrong in his presentation, except for maybe some of his pauses are a little long, and maybe the people who are doing the sound for the presentation aren't putting in enough of the crowd noise. So sometimes it sounds like he says something, and then like two people in the audience <laughs> right. clap, and you feel yeah, bad it's, for it's him. It's almost like he's presenting to a distant, disinterested panel of senior citizens, several of whom have woken up to hear something. And they realize they're not at like the Republican National Convention and then they sort of clap and they kind of doze off again. Yeah. And I, I don't know if that's because people aren't clapping in the crowd or it's just because the mix, like the sound mixing guys aren't putting in enough crowd noise. Like they're not or, or they're, they're the crowd is not yeah. mic'd. No, I think that's exactly way. what it is. I think that I think they they've got the lav mic on uh, Bezos and then nothing going on in the crowd. So it's, it sounds silent. It sounds like a comedian who's bombing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but but he does have a strange style. Uh, but anyway, enough enough for the presentation style. I, I, it is interesting to see how much these things conform to the you know the Steve Jobs style because you can either like rebel against that style or you can try to imitate it or you can do something in between. Because Steve Jobs kind of defined that like I'm the CEO and I'm going to announce these new products and that's like that became a thing and now everybody uh, everybody uh, is judged based on that and I and I don't think Steve Jobs was a particularly good presenter either uh the thing about steve jobs was that his enthusiasm like he wasn't like a professional presenter like if you wanted to have him do your business presentation he couldn't do it justice unless he totally believed in it uh and you and don't the think Apple steve jobs was a good presenter there. no like a good presenter isn't like that's a skill you have like you like pre- pretend there's like a talent contest on television or something or some sort of like a a, a a club or a formal society and they would just throw you a topic and you'd have to go up there and you'd present and then your competitor would present and they would say who presented this better and the material you're presenting is not relevant it's just like who is a better presenter are you a good presenter it's like are you a good actor you're not being judged on the script or on the story you're being judged on your acting performance right so i don't think steve jobs is a good presenter he can't just present anything that the reason he was so good is because he presented awesome things that he really believed in and he didn't have to fake that enthusiasm. When he when he wasn't enthusiastic about something he was presenting, it it was kind of like you could tell. And he he wasn't he, you know he didn't do a good job of selling that stuff. But when he went up there, he was so excited and enthusiastic about the stuff he was doing. And he has good taste, so he'd be like, "I have this awesome thing. There's no way I'm going to present this awesome thing in a way that doesn't reflect its awesomeness." So he had that you know whole minimal style, small amount of text on the slides. Like he he innovated in the corporate presentation space in that regard. But I wouldn't say he's a good 
you know, a good presenter, you know, like if you, if I had, if I had to pick somebody to give my presentation of some, you know, boring thing at work, I wouldn't pick Steve Jobs unless the thing I was presenting was awesome and he agreed that it was awesome because then he would do a good job. But if not, he'd be like, oh, this is crap. <laughs> no, he would not, he would not sell it. Uh, so Bezos, I think, similarly believed in these tablets that he was presenting. I think he really believed that they're, that they're good. It's just that that enthusiasm didn't come through quite as much as in a typical Steve Jobs presentation. And it may just be differences in personality. I don't know. I shouldn't, I shouldn't be picking on the uh, presentation because it's not really relevant to the products. But it's having just watched it recently, it's fresh in my mind. And, and I often wonder, like, you see a lot of stories about, oh, the only people buy, buy Apple stuff is because Apple's so good at marketing and Steve Jobs convinces everybody to buy it. And uh, that's kind of a silly story. You know, if the products weren't good, people wouldn't buy them. And the reverse, I think, is also true. If you give a kind of lackluster, scattered presentation with slides that are a little bit too noisy and some awkward pauses and people watching on the web and the, and the audience clapping is not put in the mix the right way, it won't matter if the products are good. Uh, so the value of these presentations is vastly overestimated. But if you're watching them as entertainment and you want to get excited about the product, in that respect, I think Bezos did not do as good a job as a typical Steve Jobs presentation getting people excited. Uh, put it another way, if you gave Steve Jobs this presentation with this hardware, he would have got people yeah. a lot more excited. Because I think this is a good lineup. Like they had, they had good things to to announce. Uh, so let's... I said I was going to stop talking about the presentation, and then it went on again for five minutes. All right, let's talk about the products. So the first one we've got is, we'll start from the, the low end, I guess. Uh, they've got the Kindle Paperwhite e-reader, which is the, a step up from like what was formerly known. Oh, they're so bad with the name. It was formerly known as the Kindle 4, which was like a keyboardless Kindle that was not touch sensitive. That was the bottom of the line model, had a little five-way switch, e-ink screen, stuff like that. They still sell that. Now they just call that the Kindle, I think. They just call they just call yeah, it the some, Kindle. I put some of these they're links also still into selling the them. show notes, and they are they they keep they keep changing the name of these did, things. There's the Kindle. Did you look? What yeah, I there's that. Well, going. Are you starting at the bottom and working your way up? The Kindle, sixty nine bucks, old school. Kindle Paperwhite, not Paperweight. It's one hundred nineteen bucks, and the Kindle Paperwhite three G, one hundred seventy nine bucks. And these are all. I was going to say, I, I put these all in the notes already, so I don't add them because you're just... No, it, w- it won't make duplicates if you added them right on Amazon. Well, the, but the thing is that I think it, it's deduping based on okay. weird... Anyway, look at, look at the actual links. I have them okay. all in here. I think I have every model in here. There's also the, the one with the keyboard that they're still selling, too, for some reason. That, has some that is the Kindle so Keyboard so, 3G. <laughs> yeah, it's very difficult to talk about these. Anyway, so the, <laughs> the bottom take, of the bottom you know, of the you, line. You talk about people ripping off Apple. Like they would be good if they ripped off Apple a little bit and came out with a more simplified lineup. But what what Kindle did you get? Oh, I have the Kindle Paperwhite 3G. Oh, really? I have the Kindle Keyboard 3G, and I find it to be an exceptional. <laughs> Come on. Well, but they changed the names of the same models from year to year. <laughs> That's what kills you because the Kindle 4 is gone, but you can buy the exact same product more or less as the Kindle 4 under yeah. a new name. It's very confusing. All right, but so I'm going to get to the, the product diversity probably at the end. But so the Kindle Paperwhite is a step up from them because it has a feature they don't. It are several features it doesn't. The, the most important one is that the screen emits light through this uh, very fancy system they have. So it's still an e-ink screen. It's not an LCD screen. 
it's not backlink, backlit, but they have an LED edge lighting technology. So the LEDs shine from the edge and go through this little region that's sort of like a fiber optic cable. You have uh, not total internal reflection because then you wouldn't see any light, but almost total internal reflection that distributes the light evenly, bounces it off the screen and then up out uh, at you. So it makes the entire screen glow with an even kind of glow. Which, again, having not seen one in person, only seen the pictures and video, it looks really impressive. It really looks like a very even light. I've seen a couple of pictures online of people showing the uh, like the the Nook glow thing. The Nook has a similar edge light, but they just sort of shine the lights in from the edge, and that looks all washed out and gross compared to the paper white. It really does look impressive. One of my big complaints about e-ink was that I do a lot of my reading at night in a dim or darkened bedroom and if the screen is not backlit it's a non-starter and i don't want to have one of those little light clips you know annoying the person who's next to you in bed so this is an adjustable light source for the ink screen uh i think it's great that's a great additional feature they said they've been working on it for four years uh i believe it because it's very difficult to do this as well as they appear to have and you also have to make it super cheap and everything because this is not it's not the bottom of the line model but it's near the bottom of the the range uh, and the other thing I saw is that I think they added a capacitive touchscreen to this, the paper white as well, finally solving the problem of people constantly tapping and swiping and, and pawing at their Kindle's e-ink screens, which, as we've talked about several times, you give a Kindle to a, a toddler who has seen an iPad, and they will touch that screen within the first two seconds. And, you know, even people who know better, I find myself touching Kindle screens. It just, it just happens. You have to just slap your hand away, snap that rubber band, say, it's not a touchscreen, stop doing that, but no, this one... They added a capacitive touchscreen layer. Uh, and it's much better than that IR touch that they had on the earlier models where they would have infrared beams from the edges so the entire screen would be sunken in this big pit. Uh, and th- you had to like put your finger into this pit and then your finger would be sensed in a particular position. This is you know, actual touch sensing uh, while keeping the device thin. So this looks great. It's $119 for the Wi-Fi model, $179 for the 3G model. A lot of that price difference has to be helping pay for the three, the free 3G because when you get the 3G model, you don't have to buy a data plan or anything. Uh, they just give it to you for free. You just get 3G access everywhere for life, I guess, until they decide to stop providing 3G, until the 3G towers go away. Uh, and they can get away with that because what can you actually do on an e-ink Kindle? You can read books. You can't really browse web pages because it would be crazy. Uh, so this, I think, is the new best kindle for you to get if you want to get something cheap just to read books on this is the one to get i say having never actually seen it or played with it uh, and they also increased the uh, screen resolution as well and th- one of the things i said in the presentation was that uh even not like at night or in dark light they found that it's nice to keep that light on because it increases the contrast on the screen so even if you're actually in bright sunlight now, these e-ink screens, unlike uh, LCD screens or backlit screens, they don't show you information by emitting light and leaving little dark regions. They're, they're reflective. They expect light to hit the screen and bounce off, and it doesn't bounce off of the dark regions. It does bounce off of the light regions. So the more ambient light you have, you know, the better they look. And so this, I don't know what you call it, front light, edge light thing, increases the contrast of the screen and makes it look better. So even if you're in a completely well-lit room, that extra little bit of light just cranks up the contrast on the screen even more and makes the screen look more white, which is another complaint about ink. It would kind of look like black on gray. But the more light you got, the more bright it looked. Oh, and they dropped the price of the old the old Kindle 4, now just called the Kindle or whatever. That's down to 69 bucks. 
they had some kind of sale for Amazon Prime people where they were selling the the old old Kindle for for forty bucks, and we actually got another one of those in the house just because it was forty bucks. I still don't like that hardware, but hey, it's forty bucks. <laughs> uh, let's see the next. Moving up the line, we've got the Kindle Fire, which that that was the the entire product line consisted of the Kindle Fire for Amazon's LCD based seven inch tablets. They're continuing to sell that thing, complete with, I'm assuming, all the same misfeatures that the original hardware had. The power button on the bottom, the really thick case, the asymmetrical screen, uh, but they have given it twice the RAM, faster processor, longer battery life, and dropped the price from $200 to 160 uh, I still don't think that's a good product. Uh, it's probably much better than the original Kindle Fire, and it is cheap, but mm, I'm not liking it. I'm still not going to, if someone says they want to get a Kindle Fire, I'm not going to recommend they get that model. Um, and then see, what's the next one up? The next model line is the Kindle Fire HD 7-inch. I don't even know what these full product names are. God, they're, they can't, this is the, the plain old Kindle Fire, the 7-inch Kindle Fire. This is the Kindle Fire HD 7-inch, which is $200. And this one seems like a an actual, like what the Kindle Fire should have been. Uh, it looks nice and symmetrical. It's got better hardware, better screen. Uh, it has a the, the screen is they don't say Retina or anything like that, but it's a much higher resolution screen. It's not as high. Uh, it's not a, a high DPI as the the iPad three, but I mean it it's good enough. Like uh, quibbling over a pixel here and pixel there, especially in a device that costs two hundred dollars, I don't think it's a big deal. This is what you would expect to be running up against the Nexus Seven, and I think this is what people expected of this press conference. Like Amazon's going to come out. And uh, maybe they expected they would ditch the old Fire and just come out with a new, you know, sort of a Retina Kindle Fire that's not crappy like the original Kindle Fire was. Uh, comes in 16 and 32 gigabyte models. This is sort of like the sweet spot for, say, you want to have a little device that you can use to watch Amazon content that isn't horrible like the first Kindle Fire. Again, not having used these things, just looking at the specs and the price, this looks like something I could start recommending to people if they want to get into a 7-inch tablet for $200. And I probably recommend this over the Nexus 7, if only because Amazon has such a, a bigger, better selection of media to consume from this thing. I see. And the next one up is finally we get to the big one, the big tablet, which is, you know, oh, now Amazon's finally competing with the iPad. They're going to make something that's not 7 inches, but it's not 9.7 inches either. It's 8.9 inches. These manufacturers who are making the parts for these things are somebody going crazy with the, the permutations. Like, it would be nice if everyone could settle on, like, you know, when they were making screens for computers. It was, you had 13-inch, 15-inch, 17-inch, 19-inch. Like, they went in nice increments. Uh, tablet screens are all over the map still. So here's an 8.9-inch screen. It's 1920 by 1200. 254 dots per inch. Again, not as high as an iPad 3, but, you know, good enough. Uh, they made a big deal out of the quality of the screen that it actually is an IPS screen. Uh, so I'm assuming the screen is of iPad quality or better in terms of viewing angles and color and everything like that. We get about to see one in person to see if that's the case. Uh, and it's, uh, you know, it uses a very beefy processor that's faster than the Tegra 3. It's got stereo speakers instead of mono. They actually showed a picture of the iPad on the screen. Uh, to make fun of the fact that, oh, you only got one. Other people are using only one speaker. And they didn't mention iPad, but, you know. Uh, dual band Wi-Fi, 
Uh, they made a big deal out of its MIMO technology. What is that? Multiple inputs, multiple outputs. It's a way of getting better wireless by having multiple antennas. Uh, you know, all, the hardware looks really good. Everything about the hardware looks good. It doesn't look like they skimped on the hardware. Uh, and they also made a big deal about the, the, the touch sensor for the screen being squished down on top of it so you have less glare and they have this, this polarizing filter to make the viewing angles better and all sorts of stuff that it looks like like this is like their flagship product. Like we spared no expense. You know, the only expense we spared is not putting a 9.7 inch display on. It's got 8.9 inch, but it's like it's close enough, guys, right? It's, just, it's basically iPad sized. <laughs> Uh, it's similar size and weight to the iPad. It's a little bit thinner, a little bit lighter, I believe, but like very similar. It's like, it's like the iPad three. Uh, uh, and what was it? 16 gigs of storage. I think there's a 32, uh, available as well. And that's all well and good. And it's like, okay, well this, uh, this thing is surely going to run really well because this has very modern hardware, great specs, uh, Assuming they don't mess up the build quality, this is going to be a pretty good product. And up to this point in the presentation, like the paper white thing, like the reading nerds might have been excited about, and the bumped Kindle Fire, it's like meh, uh, the you know the seven inch one, and then the HD one, it's like yeah, that's kind of like what I wanted. Two hundred dollars is pretty good. It's nice that they moved the old model down to one sixty, and the new one is two hundred. So that's what I expected. And then they come up with this new fancy model, and he did a pretty good Steve Jobs job of this part of like emphasizing how much money all these parts cost. That like. We're not just going to throw in one speaker. We're going to get two speakers, and we're not going to use a chintzy screen. We're going to get the best screen we can buy, and we're going to sweat over the screen and figure out how can we make the screen awesome. And we're going to, you know, use this multiple antenna stuff, which is really complicated and hard to do, uh, but we think it's important because you're going to be downloading all this awesome content from Amazon over it, right? Spared no expense. And the killing blow landed when they said the price for this thing, $300. Like, Steve Jobs would have done a much better job on these pricing slides because these prices... I think surprised everybody who was watching. This was the big, the big point of this presentation. The why this stuff was left to the end was that they said we're going to have sort of no compromises, really good hardware, as far as you're aware, a person who has not yet <laughs> held this device, and we're going to price it like like you've never seen before. Three hundred dollars. You can't even get into an iPad three at all for this price. And this is like clearly an iPad three competitor. Oh, and by the way, it has HD front facing camera as well. It doesn't have a rear facing camera. Uh, so the only place they made it cheaped out there is not having a really nice camera on the back of it but the ipad 3's camera is only so so anyway uh that is a, a game changer for everybody involved a full size quote unquote meaning basically similar to the size to the ipad tablet for 300 dollars with really good specs uh battery life is another one that may be questionable although it is similar size and weight to the ipad 3 so i have to think most of that means it's got a big honking battery in there uh, but that'll have to be something we test um and so I, I was very surprised by that, and that's really putting all of the other Android tablet makers' feet to the fire. Because now, like, how can you, how can you try to sell a seven-inch tablet for anything approaching approaching that price when you can get a bigger, better, faster tablet with a better content ecosystem attached to it for this much money? Uh, uh, but they weren't done with that. They said, okay, well, you know, everyone talks about tablets like, they said, what is the most popular price point for tablets? It's $499. It's $500. And they did, again, they didn't mention the iPad, but what they mean is basically like that's how much it costs to get an iPad, to, more or less. Uh, and they could, you can go up from there, obviously, with the iPads. And you can go down a little bit too, but that's that's the popular price point, $500 to get an iPad, right? You'd be comfortable saying, oh, you got an iPad. How much do those cost? That's $500. You can get it cheaper. You can get it way more expensive, but that's the price of entry. And they said, well, what can we what can we do for $500? You 
given you know given that we've showed you what we can do for three hundred dollars, what can we do for five hundred dollars? What do we do with that extra two hundred dollars for the stuff? They said, well, we could double the storage, but that doesn't add up to two hundred extra dollars. Uh, obviously, they're not in the Apple school of, of technology margins where they say, okay, we'll just double the RAM and add $400 to the price, uh, even though the RAM costs, you know, 80 bucks. I uh, said, so, well, what else can we have? We can have the ultimate tablet feature, which they claimed was 4G, which is a misfire there. Because what is the ultimate tablet feature? We're ready for something amazing. 4G is not like, I don't know, is it the ultimate feature? But it's it's not something you need to build up that much. So that was kind of a letdown saying 4G with flames. They had little flames coming off of it on their uh, presentation slide. And which is a shame because they did have something great in store. It wasn't the fact that this thing supports 4G. It was the fact that it supports 4G and you can get 4G for $50 for the entire year, which is another breakthrough price point from Amazon. Now, granted, it's 250 megabytes per month for that plan, which is not a lot, but $50 a year is so far from what it will cost you to get the same thing in an iPad. And they did a pretty brutal price comparison chart with an iPad because, you know, iPad starts around 400 you know, $500, depending on which model you're getting. But once you start adding 4G and all this stuff, like, you're rapidly getting into $700 iPads. Uh, so the price gap just opens up like crazy because Apple re- tries to get you in the door with a low price, but if you want all the fancy things, like, I think it's like $130 extra for, for 4G, you really start making an expensive iPad once you start adding all the features that this Amazon thing already has. So for $500, you get this uh, Kindle Fire HD with 4G LTE. Jeez, names too long. Uh, and and if you add up the price of an iPad that matches you know these features and an entire year of 250 megabytes per month of data plan, which I, I believe that's the lowest plan on the iPad, isn't it? You can get a 250 yeah, megs a month uh, data plan. Uh the the Kindle Fire ends up like four hundred dollars ahead in the first year of use. It's huge price gap between comparable uh, hardware and features. Uh, Fifty dollars a year is the lowest I've seen for any four G data plan for any amount of data anywhere. I don't even think if you did a prepaid, you could get it down that low, unless you like never actually used it. Uh, of course, the problem, as I mentioned before, is that two hundred fifty megabytes a month. You can watch, like, the first 15 minutes of a high-definition movie. You can watch, like, two TV shows, maybe. Or you could download five of my podcasts, and then you're out, you're, your quota is done for the month on, on 4G LTE. So that, that may be an Achilles heel, because this is not like a, uh, an e-ink Kindle where you're going to be downloading books, and there's no way you'll burn through that 250 megabytes. The whole point of this device is to use it to, uh, you know, web browse and watch movies and television shows and do stuff that actually uses bandwidth. And this 4G plan is more like, in a pinch, if you're on the road, you can use your device. What it's definitely not like at 250 megs a month is, however you'd like to use your tablet, now you can use it like that anywhere. That is not the case with this plan. Uh, You can't just say, okay, I can just forget about it, because no matter where I am in the world, I will have a net connection, and it will be as fast as I could possibly have it. If this 4G coverage, fine. If not, it will drop back. I'll just use it like I normally use it. You cannot act that way with this, because you will burn through 250 megs very very quickly with the kind of content that amazon wants you to buy and consume on this device uh but 50 dollars a year is ridiculously low so my concern as soon as i saw that was like all right that's great and all and you'll get people in the door but what happens when you hit the cap or the overage charges are always crazy so you don't want people having a bad experience where they hit the uh 
the cap and then are charged like a dollar per megabyte or whatever the crazy overage rates are and then they end up with like a three hundred dollar bill at the end of the first month so i'm sure they do something to avoid that probably just turning it off and saying hey you hit your cap if you want more blah blah, blah. but they didn't talk about all right what if i want a, a more expensive plan what what it's available to me there uh, and a little bit after the presentation they said oh we do have better plans we have three gigabyte and five gigabyte plans that's three gigabytes per month of data or five gigabytes per month of data and those are fine like those are the plans where if you get those you can pretty much use it the same way you'd normally use it no matter where you are if you're out of the house in the house away from wi-fi you're probably not going to burn through three gigabytes a month uh with my ipad 3 wwc like i said i got the two gigabyte plan i've never gone more than half of that data in the week of wwc of using that thing constantly and mostly using you know even though this wi-fi and wwc i'd find myself using the the uh the lte connection because it was more reliable even inside the building uh than the other so but those plans are not as much of a bargain according to some amazon kindle vice president this is this is related to me third hand through twitter but uh i got it from two different places so there you have it two different third hand places on twitter it's the same pricing as at&t's regular 4g plans so it's thirty dollars a month for a three gigabyte plan and fifty dollars a month for a five gigabyte plan. So those are the prices. Those are similar to the the iPad prices. That's kind of what we expect, and that is a far cry from fifty dollars for the entire year for the two fifty meg plan. Clearly, Amazon went to bat to try to get like, can we get a four G plan for a price that's so cheap that people will go, yeah, might as well. Why not fifty dollars for the whole year? Let's try it. I mean, look at how much I already saved three hundred bucks over the equivalent iPad that I could have gotten for this price. Let me take fifty dollars of that and throw it into. 250 meg plan and maybe maybe i won't use it that much or maybe i'll only use the check email and web browse and I'll, i won't even go through that 250 meg uh a month uh I, I feel like that's like a little bit of a trap where you give this awesome high definition device and you provide access to all this awesome video and just you know, music web browsing anything and you and then you give them a 4g connection and if they do any of those cool things they're going to burn through it like think about uh Poor Marco at WWC when it, his iPad, what is it, did it download like Mad Men or something? The next episode right. of Mad Men and burned through his, burned through his data for him because it just downloaded it yeah. in the background. The video is big. 250 megs is not a lot. Uh, but I think this is some pretty impressive pricing jujitsu they've done here. Like, they, he spent a little while, also Steve Jobs style, trying to explain the reasoning about this this pricing you know what, what kind of company are we as amazon they want this big thing of like we win when customers win we want to have our interests aligned with the customers uh one of the lines was we want to make money when people use our devices not when they buy right. our devices which is a very different philosophy uh, this first of all this type of thing of describing how you want to make money it sounds kind of like one of those parts where steve Jobs explains something about like philosophy but he's always explaining a philosophy about the either philosophy of the product or of the company he almost never talked about the philosophy of how we how we pay our bills here at apple and how we make money he's never said like we make our money with big hardware margins and we use that hardware margin money to subsidize the development of a software platform that makes our devices more valuable like he does not do that uh so this is this even though this seems like a similar explanation of, of corporate philosophy it is subtly different in that he's he's talking about his business model He's like, you may be asking yourself, how can we make money at these prices? You know, we make it up in volume. You know? So he's talking about his business plan, which is not about the technology and not about the product. And really, consumers who aren't nerds don't care how Amazon makes its money. They just want to know, will I like this product? And what is the philosophy of this product? Uh, but I guess, you know, to a nerd audience who is, as we talked about with app.net, is actually interested 
in how a company will make its money. We want to know that like you're making money in a way that doesn't end up selling us out or makes you uh, go away in a couple of years or stop supporting your devices. So we are interested in how they make money. But it did, did strike me as strange that they would be up there talking about their business plan. And so, so their plan is they don't want to make money, make their money when you buy the device, which though Apple never says it is not what Apple, Apple wants to make money when you buy a device. They make a lot, a lot of money when you buy an iPhone, when you buy their hardware, like that's, that's where they make the vast, vast majority of their money is when you, when you buy their device, Amazon wants to make it when you use their device. And it's like, well, you don't make any money when I'm using device. I'm, I'm sitting there swiping around with my finger. How are you making money until I, Oh, I get it. You want me to buy things from you from the device. And that's not shocking. As I said, I think before the original Kindle fire came out, or maybe it was when the Kindle Fire came out. It's just like a magical, colorful window through which you can give money to Amazon. Like, that's the whole premise of their devices, and it's very clear. Amazon.com is a place where you go to buy stuff. Now they have hardware gigaws that make it easier for you to buy stuff. Uh, and they love it because they don't have to ship you anything. You know, they show the chart of their electronic book sales passing quickly passing their paper book sales. It's just so much easier to buy things. They don't have to ship you anything. They don't have to have fulfillment warehouses. They love it. You just give money. We send you bits. Thumbs up much better than the margins on paying a bunch of people to put it in boxes and ship it to you and all that stuff. Uh, so here they are being explicit about that. And they showed a little slide of like a drawer. It says, if you buy our product and put it in a drawer, we don't deserve to make money from you. In other words, if we sell you something that you don't find a reason to use, we're okay with not making money off of you because we sold you the product at cost or whatever. Uh, and we never made any more because that means we're not making like their goals for the product is make a product that people want to use to buy stuff from us. And rephrase is like, make a product that people want to use. Uh, why would they want to use it? Well, it has to be fun and interesting and give them something they want. And people do really like to use the e-ink readers. The readers love to use these devices. And the Kindle Fire, they like to play games, like to buy software, like to watch movies, maybe not quite as much. It seems like their, their ecosystem for e-ink readers is more solid at this point than their tablet oh, ecosystem. Sure. Uh, because those readers... They love their, you know, they love to read and they, they really are dedicated to e-ink and they're the only person in that market. Who else is making e-ink reader? Nobody. Uh, well, you know, sorry. Sorry, Barnes and Noble. For some values of nobody. <laughs> uh, they, they were there first. They're so dominant in that space. And to differentiate, the Nook really had to go with like, oh, we're going to make an Android tablet with an LCD screen. And uh, that's our big deal there. But yeah, that that is very solid. But the rest of it, it still remains to be seen. But anyway, th- their philosophy is clear there. And they took a couple of more subtle digs at Apple saying, we don't need you to be in the upgrade treadmill. We're happy that people are still using Kindle ones that are five years old. Uh, so, you know, people who feel like, oh, I just bought an iPad and now like the iPad 2 came out and I didn't care. And then the iPad 3 came out and now like, do I have an old iPad and should I upgrade and the new games won't play on my iPad 1 and I can run iOS 6 but it's really slow or like... You know, I spent $500 on this and that was a lot of money for me and I was excited when I had it, but now I feel like it's crappy. Whereas Amazon is going for the, you bought your Kindle one five years ago, keep buying those books, man. They put up all the whole slides of like people who have e-ink readers buy way more books than people who don't. And like, yeah, this is great for us. They, they want to make their money by selling you stuff. And these devices are just a way to grease the wheels, to remove friction, to make, to make their content more valuable to you. Because when you have this device, you can get your book anywhere and you can carry 50 of them with you. And, you know, it's a great way to read. And like suddenly all the books that we sell are more valuable to you because we can't sell you 10 books and they all come in hardback because you had to lug those things around. Now we can sell you 10 books through this little device. Uh, so they want to get you off the upgrade treadmill. 
you, you know, keep using it. Fine. You bought you bought a Kindle ages ago. That's fine. We didn't make any money off you when you bought the thing anyway. All we care is that you keep buying books because we'll keep putting out new books. And if you keep buying them, we're happy with that relationship. Uh, the thing that struck me about this is that a software platform platform owner would never say that they are happy if you're still using your five year old device. Right. I mean, they might say it, but it wouldn't be true. If you have a software platform, you are not happy if someone, if there's like legions of people out there who are still using their five-year-old Mac or their five-year-old iPhone or iPad, because those people are impairing the progress of the platform. You'd like to move your platform forward to do better, more awesome things, but you can't because you've got these boat anchors, you know, dragging you down. So the Apple philosophy is, fine, we're leaving you behind. PowerPC Macs, forget it, not supported anymore. Uh, we're not giving you uh, the latest version of iOS on your old devices. We're just going to move forward, forward as fast as we possibly can because that's how we stay out of the competition. We move our platform forward. And when I say platform, I mean a thing that people can write applications for because you can write better, more interesting, more engaging applications if you can move that platform forward. If you say it's fine that someone's going to use a five-year-old iOS device for years and you're like thumbs up on that, you can never write cooler apps because that poor guy's got, oh, we got to support those five-year-old people like Apple moves the platform forward, so you don't feel so bad not supporting that old thing because, hey, the platform owner is doing the same thing, and it's moving everybody ahead and trying to sell those people new devices. This is a big difference in philosophy between Amazon, which I, maybe they would consider themselves a platform, and they are trying to have an app platform, but their their philosophy is, give me a way, here's a way that you can buy stuff from us and just keep buying stuff, and we'll keep selling you stuff, and we'll make that experience better, and we don't care what you use to do it, versus Apple saying, we are a software platform. We have to move forward to compete with the other software platforms, I guess Android in this case. It's really like that they're, they're in different markets here. Uh, they're, they're, not, they're not trying to do the same thing, if what, what they say is true. Now, maybe, maybe that's just like a feel-good line, and they really don't like people using five-year-old Kindle ones, but they know that there's like only 10 of them. And by constantly lowering the price of their readers, they got like, they're going to get like everyone who owns a Kindle one to buy a $40, you know, e-ink Kindle to replace it. That's better and thinner and lighter. Right. Maybe it's not a concern, but what they said on the stage is, is flies in the face of Apple and Android. So that matters philosophy of being a software platform owner that you got to bring everybody along and forward into the future. Otherwise you stagnate. Uh, the other analogy he made is they said, uh, People might think we're doing with the razor razor blade model. And he said, we don't like the razor razor yeah. blade model. But the way he described the razor razor blade model was that you lose money selling the razor and then make it up selling the blades. My, my understanding of the razor razor blade model has not been that you lose money buying the razor. Like, who, who loses money buying razors? It's like a plastic stick with a clip on the end. They sell them for like $10. No one loses money these days, I don't think, on, on selling the razor, meaning the handle with nothing on the end of it. Uh, they do make money on the blades. The blade is where all the profit is, right? Because that's reusable. It's like inkjet ink. You know, <laughs> that would have been a better model. The, 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 you know, razor razor blade is the more well-known one because it was innovative and razors are really old, right? But the printer ink one, they sell the printer. They, they probably do lose money on the printer, so they make it up selling you this ink, which <laughs> is the most valuable substance in, on <laughs> right, Earth. It's liquid or powdered gold, rather. Powdered <laughs> platinum. Like it, 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 it would be very difficult to manufacture a liquid that, that it costs more money per unit volume <laughs> Maybe like human blood I don't know, <laughs> of a particular type than printer ink, right? So <laughs> that that struck me as weird. But, I mean, th- the point is clear. Like, they're, they're saying we're not trying to make money selling the device. He didn't say we're selling you the device at cost. He didn't say they're taking a humongous loss selling device. So we don't know. I'm going to assume that they kept saying we're trying to bring the price down to, like, the bill of materials. I'm going to assume they're trying to, like, break even 
on the devices and maybe lose money initially, but like, no, they're going to make it up later with, with volumes of manufacturing or whatever. Uh, but the razors, they want to sell you the content and they're sure as heck making money on that. Now it's the margins on content are way lower than the margins on Apple's hardware, for example. Uh, but here's the case where, you know, they make it up in volume, right? So this is a viable plan and it is aligned with Amazon's typical plan for doing things, but it is very different than Apple's plans. And the thing about it is I don't think anyone else can compete with Amazon on these prices unless they have a similar other way to make money. So it's like, oh, we'll sell our hardware at cost or at a loss, and we'll make it up by selling a tremendous volume of fairly low margin content and items. Well, who has that kind of volume that Amazon has to sell that yeah. much stuff? Who can who can emulate this model? I mean, even even Apple, I think, and not that they would, but could Apple imitate this model? Could Apple say, okay, we're, we're done with this getting 30, 40, 50% margins on our hardware. We're going to sell our hardware at cost, and we're going to make it all up with uh, sales to the iTunes store? Mm, not so much. If you look at the little pie chart of their revenues and profits, they don't, they mean they make money off of iTunes content, but it's nothing compared to the money they make from selling iPhones and iPads and, you know, even Macs. Uh, so even though Apple maybe could stay in business trying to chase this model why would they they're making way more profit and way more revenue than amazon with their opposite model which is make all the money on the hardware and do everything else to make the hardware more valuable to you like why do you want an ipad because when you get an ipad you get access to the app store and the app store has awesome apps and why are the apps awesome because we keep making our hardware better so they keep making their apps more awesome and we keep moving our platform forward and we're racing ahead when everyone is else is stagnant you know um you know it's, it's it's very interesting seeing these two competitors out there because even though they're, you know, Amazon is needling Apple in this presentation and comparing its hardware to Apple, they're they're not really competing for the same uses or the same customers. Uh, the danger to Apple is that this this uh, strategy of get the hardware into as many hands of as many people as possible and make it valuable through the ecosystem that supports it could be dangerous to Apple. Because I know, you know, I didn't know anybody with a non-iPad tablet until the Kindle Fire came out. And then I started seeing people who had the Kindle Fire. People who would never even think of buying an iPad, but, like, their kids would have a Kindle Fire. It's like, why do they have that? It was cheap, and they wanted a tablet, and you can get a tablet for cheap, and they play, like, the three games they're interested in, and they watch some movies, and, like, that is dangerous to Apple. Uh like kind of the casual buying of a tablet type thing. I know it's not as good as an iPad, they would say, but, you know, we didn't want to give a, a 12-year-old something that costs $500, and this thing is small, and they're happy with it. Like, you know, kids get Nintendo DSs, and now kids get, you know, a Kindle Fire. Why not? Like, or, or this, uh, we want to get a tablet, but we don't know if we're interested, so we'll just try that Kindle thing. Oh, we have an e Kindle. It's kind of cool. We'll try getting this thing. That is really dangerous to Apple because what it does is it ends up littering people's houses with a bunch of tablet-like products. And so when Apple comes knocking and says, hey, you want our tablet? It's awesome. We have the best apps. We have the best platform and ecosystem. I'm like, nah, I've already got like three tablets. I'm, I'm good with those. That's not good. Even though their their business models are different, even though Apple's products are technically better, you know, and it would be more valuable, but they've already got a couple tablets. They don't feel like they need another one. So Apple should be on the lookout for Amazon more so now than ever because Amazon is clearly signaling its willingness to just crush Apple on price and value for the hardware. Uh, And I'm not sure how Apple will respond to that, if at all. Like, do they need to? Obviously, their smaller iPad is a a necessary response to just get down to some of the price points, like even to even be a contender in those areas. But 
I don't know. As many people point out, and we will get email about this again and again, and someone just said in the chat room, Amazon is almost exclusively like a U.S. player. Like outside the U.S., people don't care about Amazon. But it's like I can't get movies here. I can't get books. I can't get this that I want. I can't like that whole content play that Amazon has is so much less relevant outside the U.S. But uh, once again, I will reiterate: this is a U.S. centric podcast. I'm sorry. This is where we are. Uh, that is a big advantage, strategically speaking, for Apple because, like, fine, Amazon. What if Amazon cleans our clock with this pricing model? We still have the whole rest of the world, and there's a lot of people in China last time I checked. And, you know, so, like maybe Apple is just fine if Amazon doesn't go worldwide. Uh, so far, Amazon has not been able to become an international company to the level that Apple is. And that may, I'm sure that's somewhere in, on Bezos's uh, master plan, but they haven't implemented it yet. All right, listen, we got to do, we got to do this next sponsor, man. All right. Take a breather. Squarespace.com, everything you need to make an amazing website, fully hosted, managed environment for creating something beautiful. Just that's what you, that's what you're really talking about here, John. You're talking about making beautiful things. <laughs> well, kind of. Squarespace lets you do that. I use these guys for, for everything now. Anytime I want to make a new site, whether it's a blog or portfolio, I don't really have work to show off, but photographers, they would love this thing. They do love this thing because they have these really awesome photo galleries. The beauty of Squarespace is they make it easy to do everything. Today, I put a, I, I was updating Big Week and I wanted to embed something in uh, that, was, that had an image. Well, like I don't have to download the image to my desktop and then upload it to the server or use a plugin. No, I just point while, I'm, while I have a little bookmark that I go to the page and I highlight some text that I want to block quote and I hit the, I hit the, uh, the button. In my bookmark bar. It automatically grabs that text, sets it up as a block quote, and I want to put an image in there too. I click the little plus, I grab an image, I paste in a URL from the web page that I'm looking at, and it'll say, oh, here's the images that I found on this web page. And it thumbnails them and it puts them into the post for me and it does it and it's just genius. And if you're more of a manual type of person, you can do it all in Markdown. You can do it as straight HTML. I mean, whatever you want to do. And when you're building your site, and people keep asking me, wow, you have a really nice uh, custom theme on, on your, your blog. How long did that take? I'm like, that's like the basic theme. And I just used their theme builder and tweaked the fonts and tweaked the link colors and the styles. That's all I did. It just works. It's so easy to use. Now, you get what you pay for. Squarespace is not free. You're going to pay for it. But you can try it for a couple of weeks for free. And if you already have content somewhere else, maybe you've got another, another blog, something published, Squarespace can import it. So import your content, try it for a couple weeks. If you like it, sign up. And here's here's how that works. If you use the code Dan sent me 9, number 9. You will get 10% off whatever you sign up for. They have a month to month thing. You don't have to do any long-term commitments with it. But if you like it and you want to sign up for a year, then they'll give you 20% off a free domain name and then you can still put Dan sent me 9, you'll get 30% off. 2 years you'll get the domain name and get 25% off plus 10%, so it's 35% off. There's a really good deal. These guys are super awesome, big supporters of the show, and uh, and you can go check them out and support the show just by looking, by going to squarespace.com slash 5 by 5 Thanks very much to my friends over there, longtime supporters of, uh, of this show and 5 by 5 A couple more items on Amazon's products before I move on. There's a couple of areas where Amazon is sort of out-appling Apple. 
Uh, one of them is they they spent a little time in the presentation talking about their X-ray. Uh, I don't know what you call it, feature that this branding existed previously, but they were showing it off now for things like movies. In the books, they were showing off some features where uh, if you're interested in a character, they showed, of course, Game of Thrones, which has umpteen characters. You can x-ray that character and you will see all occurrences of that character throughout the book as sort of like, you know, the book is on a horizontal timeline and they'll show little dark stripes of where that character is mentioned. So if you want to say where, you know, who was this guy again, you can go back to the previous appearances of it. Uh, and that's a great feature for readers, keeping track of a book, you know, taking advantage of things you can do in an electronic book that you can't do in a paper one. Uh, but then they showed it on movies where if you're on a movie and you pause, as soon as you pause, it automatically brings up this x-ray information and it will tell you, you know, who, who's playing that character? This is the most common question I, th- I found that people have when watching a movie. And it was like, who is, I've seen that character before. What else have they been in? Uh, so when you pause or, you know, tap on a character or whatever, I don't think it matters where you tap, uh, it brings up information about the characters that are currently on the screen and tells you what all the stuff they've been in. And how does it do that? It does it using IMDb, Internet Movie Database. Uh, I think a lot of people forget that Amazon actually owns IMDb. Do you remember I when Amazon I, bought no, IMDb? No, I forgot that. I for, totally forgot that. Yeah, people don't think about it much. Well, uh, Amazon bought IMDb in 1998. That's why no one remembers it. 1998. Wow. Talk about a strategic acquisition. Okay, we're going to buy them <laughs> in 1998. <laughs> then we're going to wait. You know, seven or eight years. Okay, <laughs> I'm so good at doing the math in my head. All right, uh, and then we'll pounce, and finally we'll have you know. So I, they bought this company ages ago. I, I can see why they found, thought it was strategic, but they probably got it for a song in '98, and now finally here they have a, a use for it. Uh, this type of thing is exactly what Apple should be doing with its video stuff. Like Amazon, you know, it, Apple should be a little bit ashamed that Amazon is the first one to do this. Because when you have when you have video that you sell over the internet or on your television or on your like Apple does all that right, you can buy TV shows, movies, rent them, watch them on your TV, watch them on your computer, watch them on your iPad, your iPod. Like Apple's all over that. But then what is it other than just like start video stream, pause, rewind, end video stream? Like they did nothing with it. They just let it sit there as you know. Oh, it's just like TV, but with no commercials, and you can fast forward and rewind. Like it's not. They didn't do anything with it. You have an internet connected device. You can do all the sorts of things. And this is like low hanging fruit. What is that guy from again? Happens all the time. Why is Apple, why did Apple not come out with this? Why is it that Amazon does it first? And if someone, you know, gets a Kindle Fire, like they get a Kindle Fire, Kindle Fire HD, and the kid starts, you know, maybe not kids because they don't care what things people have been in, but like, you know, an adult starts using it to watch movies and they're just sitting in their bed and watching their TV shows and like, what is that guy from? And they pause it. And the thing is like, it's discoverable because, you know, you don't have to trigger it or know how to activate it. When you pause, it automatically does that. Once you use that feature a couple times, if someone shows you, hey, you should get an iPad, it's better. Like, yeah, I know it costs more money, but look how awesome it is. And it's got great battery life. And look at all these apps you can get. And you can watch movies on it. And you're like, yeah, but does it do that thing where I can look up the character? Well, no. It's like, all right, that's it. No sale. Like, that's how people are. And with, justifiably, because if that's a feature, it's like, well, the whole point of, you know, I love, this is the type of story you'll hear from somebody. I love my Kindle Fire because whenever I can't figure out where that guy is from, I just tap on the screen and it tells me. And if you try to sell them anything that doesn't have that one feature, like, well, why would I even bother with that? Well, it's better in this way and that way. I don't care about that. If it's not going to tell me who, where that person's from, you know. And it seems silly that a feature like that, which Apple could totally implement, uh, and really, you know, you so that doesn't, the total value of the device is much better for the Apple thing. To get into the Apple ecosystem and have all those apps, it's, a, it's not just a content consumption platform. The iPad, you can do blah, blah. doesn't matter. If it doesn't have that one feature, forget it. It's kind of like the people who don't want to read off of a screen that emits light. 
Uh, they want a reflective screen. They want an e-ink screen. I and mean, you can t- tell them to the blue in the face that they should use an iPad or a Kindle Fire to read. They're like, nope, it's got to be e-ink. And it's a non-starter to try to sell them something that's not. This is that type of feature, this silly little feature that looks up on IMDb where a person was from. Uh, and like I said, this is low-hanging for you. And you can imagine much more fancy features. Of course, the, the demo they had on Amazon was like, what is that guy from? Or they showed the Hunger Games. What, what is she from again? Oh, she was in Winter's Bone. <laughs> you can buy that with two or add it to your watch right. list, you know, right there. And then go back to watching the movie because they want you to like, what was she in again? Oh, I like that one. I'll buy that one, too. Like that a- Apple is another thing Apple should be doing. Not that they make their money off content, but like make it easy for people to find related items and buy them and like all that stuff. Apple is, is being put to shame by, by this, this simple feature that there's no reason, no earthly reason Apple could not have implemented years ago, but they didn't. So I'm keeping my eye on these Amazon guys. They, they're dangerous. They've got a pretty long reach. <laughs> I'm trying to make a boxing analogy. It's not working. <laughs> it's not right. Not exactly right. Yeah. Uh, see, am I done with this? Oh, so th- the final thing is. Oh, so it, this is the from an interview with Bezos. Two final things. The question in the interview was, "What is the message you want people to walk away with after this presentation?" And of all the things they presented, this is what Bezos decided to focus on. Here's a quote from him: it "says uh, that we have the best tablet at any price. Last year we wanted to build the best tablet at a certain price." And this year, we wanted to build the best tablet at any price. Take away the price, and it's still the best tablet. It also happens to be only four ninety nine, right? So there, well, the part where last year we wanted to build the best tablet at, at a certain price, I think last year they just wanted to get a tablet out to become a player in the market, which is a reasonable business strategy. If we got to ship something, let's ship something crappy. The Kindle Fire got bad reviews because it was crappy last year. But, like, you know, get the ball rolling, I know a lot of people who bought that thing because it was cheap. Price point overcomes a lot of crappiness, right? <laughs> this year, this, uh, you know, there was, was also the rumors of like, uh, you know, really, the, the real Kindle Fire is coming out next year. This thing is just a stopgap, you know. That's why it looks like a, what was it, uh, the BlackBerry tablet whose name I can't remember. The room play, playbook? I can't, <laughs> I don't know. It was left up. But anyway, that's why it looked like a similar other product. It just looked like it was made to Frankenstein parts bin thing or whatever. But it got the ball rolling. Playbook. There we go. Thank you, David Smith, with an underscore at the end. Uh, it looked like a playbook. This is like what they really wanted to do. And so now here's Bezos trying to come, you know, regain his pride. Like, we're not just saying this is a good laptop because it's cheap. We think this is the best laptop, period. And all the, I mean, the hardware specs, great CPU, I'm assuming it has reasonable RAM, the, the screen specs look good, it's not quite as big as an iPad, not quite as dense, you know, but it's it's in the ballpark, two speakers, better Wi-Fi, like, it's really good hardware. They have a legitimate claim to saying, if you're looking at it purely from a hardware perspective. Now, I don't think they have the best tablet if you look at tablet as a holistic thing. The iPad 3 and the iPad 2, for that matter, are probably still both better tablets taken as a whole because of all the things you can do with an iPad, the software ecosystem and the you know, the the potential for, uh, uh, you know, apps that don't even exist yet that may come out that you'll be able to run on your iPad 3 in a year that will not be out for the Kindle Fire first, right? Uh, but it's interesting that that was their thrust. Their thrust was not buy our stuff because it's cheap. Their thrust was we're a player too. We've got good hardware, period, full stop. Just totally ignore the price. This is This is not crappy hardware. This is good. And also, as a bonus, the price is awesome on so, but my final point is that the prospects for this platform, their plan of like, uh, you know, sell these devices because then people will buy more stuff from us and it will increase our volume. 
It's been working great with books. They're getting people to buy more books than they ever bought, and the people who are buying them are happy. Like, that is a total win-win. Avid readers who are like their, you know, their big spenders, right, are buying even more books, and they're loving it. They're loving the fact that they can finish with a book and then just go, you know, a couple of seconds later, get the sequel and start reading it again, not going to the bookstore or anything like that. There's a certain class of people who love that, and they're doing very well, and they're, now they're selling more electronic books than regular. And Amazon loves it because selling electronic is better than regular, right? But for this, for the tablet platform, where they're kind of going, oh, we have games too. We got Cut the Rope and Angry Birds and uh, what is that tower defense game and Temple Run and, you know, we got the names you've heard of and we have a web browser. <laughs> like, right. We have all the things you this, need. This software, email, they talked about this time. Oh, you can do your email. Like, it's kind of half-hearted toe-dipping into the world of, you know, this, this is Amazon's problem in terms of their strategy. If tablets become the next PCs, as Apple seems to think they're going to be, and as many signals in the market seem to indicate that, like, most people don't need a PC, you just need a tablet, Apple's does better at being a PC replacement than Amazon's does. Uh, so that's a danger there. But the real problem for Amazon's strategy is volume. Uh, their strategy only works if they can get these things into the hands of as many people as possible, and that's why they're pricing them so low. They want lots of people to own these. But they're so cagey about how many they sold. And the estimates are like, maybe they sold like three or four million in a quarter or, you know, 10, 20 million in the past year. Like their sales numbers, you know, we we don't know what they are, but they, we know like ballpark. Their problem is that Apple has, I believe it's multiple hundreds of millions of iOS devices out there by now because they have the phone, they have the iPod Touch, they have the iPad, they have several generations of each of those. Soon they're going to have a smaller iPad probably. There's a lot of devices. If you're going to make software for it, like, oh, I could target the market for 10 or 20 million Kindle Fire users who really don't buy that many apps, or I could target the market of multiple hundreds of millions of iOS users or even larger number of Android users who may or may not be inclined to spend their money. That is a problem for Amazon. Amazon needs to sell more devices, period. And I think they need to not be so cagey about their numbers. They have to, If they're going to be a real competitor in the tablet space, not just in the easier way to buy Amazon stuff space, but in the tablet space, uh, that's... That's what they're facing. They're facing a huge sea of installed base of other tablet uh, other tablet OSs. On the phone, you've got Android, totally dwarfs anything. Again, they're not making a phone, but in, in, the, in the tablet space, they're not just competing against the iPad, which has a big installed base. They're competing against every iOS device that Apple has sold. Like in, in 2011 alone, Apple sold 156 million iOS devices. So those are not like old, crappy things that can't run modern software. If you bought an iOS device in 2011, chances are good that it will run any app that you buy in 2012. Uh, that is an uphill battle for them i don't know if i don't know if low pricing is enough to do it because if they, if they stick with the strategy of like this just makes it really awesome for you to buy and consume content at a certain point that strategy might seem silly and quaint kind of like like buying a special cup that lets you uh, buy sodas from mcdonald's more efficiently <laughs> i was like oh, you gotta buy a special cup to buy stuff i'm like well, i just have a set of cups in my house and i use them for all my drinks i don't have just one for you know it it could end up being weird like, if general-purpose tablets become the equivalent of the general-purpose PC, to have this other tablet that is really not a good general-purpose tablet, but it's really awesome just for buying books and movies, you know, that's a problem. And if Amazon had gotten there first and Apple had tried to come back and say, oh, don't just buy that Amazon tablet, it does a couple of things, ours does even more things, that'd be tough, but it's the reverse. The general-purpose device is already out there in much larger numbers, and Amazon is trying to be 
more general purpose, but I don't know if you can do it with that model. Now, the, the, the final, final point on the, uh, on the fire line of products is that way back when, when I think even before the first fire point, I was t- talking about uh, Horace Dedu's uh, article about Dead you. how, you know, did I do it right? I can Dead you. How Apple's model allows them to funnel more money back into the next iteration of the product. So because they make immediately big fat margins when selling you your iPad, that gives them a big immediate revenue stream to put back into making the next generation iPad, whereas Amazon makes almost nothing when they sell the thing to you, and then they have to wait for the income to you to trickle in over the course of months or years. And that gives them a slower, lower volume uh, profit stream to funnel back into making the next hardware. So the, the fear was like, okay, well, the, the Kindle Fire came out, but what can they really do to rev this? Are they going to have enough income and money to make a really awesome product next year? Because, you know, every year we know Apple's coming out of better and better products. New iPhone, new iPad, like every year, and it's just much, much better. Big leaps, you know, even from the 4 to the 4S. They look the same on the outside, but a big difference in performance and, and, and uh, products and stuff like that. Can Apple, uh, can Amazon afford to do that? Or as someone points out in the chat room, will it be more like game consoles where they have to, ha- every product has to have a multi-year cycle to make up its money and they can't afford that. You can't afford to have a new game console out every year that makes a generational leap on everything. Uh, this, the evidence we have here, it's, it's difficult to tell because of all the rumors of like, well, the rumor was this Kindle Fire, the 8.9 inch one with like the good specs. That's like what they wanted to make all along. And like last year was just a stopgap to get the ball rolling. So really this Kindle Fire has been in the work for years and years and years. And this is their one product. So this isn't like they made the Kindle Fire and then started at the as soon as they released the Kindle Fire, as soon as the Kindle Fire was done, then they started in the 8.9 inch model. And so here in a year's turnaround time, they totally upped their game and, and fielded extremely competitive, really awesome looking hardware in terms of the specs. And so obviously it's not a problem for Amazon that, you know, if they can do this every year, if next year we see a similar leap from, you know, the, the previous Kindle Fire to the current one and then we go to the next one, uh, that will show that either they've decided to subsidize that business with profit from other areas or, you know, it's not a problem for them. They can compete on hardware specs. Uh, but I think that remains to be seen. I think we have to wait for one more generation because we don't know how long the buildup has been to making this 8.9-inch model. This 8.9-inch model took four years to develop uh, and they don't have... Uh, I mean, the iPads take, took many, many years to develop as well, but Apple does the thing where they have overlapping development. Like, when they're releasing the iPad 3, the iPad 4 or whatever is already multiple years into development. Like, it's an overlapping release cycle. If Amazon doesn't have that, if they just have, like, if they're just doing them sort of serially or, like, this is their big first burst, I don't know if they can keep this up. So I'm going to say a wait and see on that. Wait until next year and see how much better the next Kindle Fire is the, at the top end than the current one is. And if they're if they can continuing that pace, that will show that they found a way to increase the hardware with the same uh, magnitude that Apple does year after year. Uh, somehow. <laughs> somehow they're doing it. Uh, but now, too early to say. I think that's all I have on the, on the Fire stuff. Is there anything I missed, do you think? <laughs> is there anything you missed? No. I think I bet there is because there was so much in this announcement. There are many other interesting features. It almost feels back to just sort of the focus on the announcement in general. Not again, not so much on the presentation, but this is something that Apple and you you did kind of touch on this earlier, but it's worth kind of bringing back up. Apple has become obviously because of Steve Jobs become so focused that they will do an event around a single product and that product will have 
one, two variants. Sometimes, you know, like with the iPad, I guess there was more because technically, yeah, there was like an AT&T and a Verizon one and then the different sizes of RAM and then the different colors. So you have variations, but really it's like one thing. They go out there and they're talking about one thing and then they don't usually go back. And I mean, they have renamed products. Apple has done that. But typically it's like, this is one thing. Here's this thing we got to tell you about. And maybe there's this other thing too, but there's pretty much like one thing. And here you've got Amazon who, do they do more than one event a year? Are they doing one or, or two a year now? It's weird for them to have an event at yeah. all, right? Like, does, does does eBay have an event? Like, they're an <laughs> online store. Why are they having it? But they have products. Right. So it's not it's not like Apple where you expect, like, clockwork every year. they got to have events for their new products. So this is new new territory for but it Amazon. Seems, it, done it, it seems like they have so, they come out with so many different things. They come out with them all at one time. They've got, as you mentioned, the, the, the ridiculous naming conventions. It, it's not clear to me if I'm a, I mean, a, a somewhat kind of geeky consumer could watch an Apple event and it might get bored by like, oh, you're talking about like iTunes revenue and what you did for developers and blah, blah, blah. Let's see what you're announcing. But from the when they're actually talking about products, your average consumer probably would enjoy watching a bunch of that when when Apple does it. But like, could you imagine like a, just a regular person saying, I would like to go and find out what the new Kindles have and sitting down and watching this and being like, what? What am I saying? And watching it for however many hours it goes for and leaving and saying, I really don't, I really still don't know what to buy or what they're offering or what's changed. I just wanted to Kindle. And th- I think their customer, their ideal customer is unaware of this event. It's the reverse of Apple. Apple's ideal customer is hyper aware of Apple's events and is totally psyched for the next iPhone and like orders it on day one and, you know, gets the ball rolling and just everyone's, you know, big stories about the new iPhone. Amazon's ideal customer has no care or awareness of the release cycle of their products. And it's just like, you know, the people who just wander into a store and wander out with like, you know, a new dishwasher or something, instead of obsessively researching it, like geeks do and stuff like that, they're just like, Oh, I just need this thing. Oh, they're going to get in a tablet this year. And then you just look around around Christmas time. You have no idea when the products you're looking at around Christmas time came out. You're like, Oh, uh, Amazon has some tablets. Let me look at these. Uh, that's, that's one of the points I did miss is I wanted to get back to is the diversity of the product line. They have, they have tremendous diversity, maybe too much diversity of the product line. Their price points from like 60 bucks all the way up to 500 and almost everything in between with so many different features, 3G, 4G, e-ink, light up, not light up, 7-inch, 7-inch HD, 8.9-inch, you know, 32 megabytes, 16, like huge variations in their product line. And I, uh, I've always said that Apple should be expanding its diversity not to not to this degree, certainly not to like the performa centrist quadro you know <laughs> degree, right. right? But you got to flesh it out a little bit. And my ideal is the iPod, which is the only product line that Apple has ever had, to my knowledge, that has completely dominated its market over like the lifetime of the device. The iPad, you could say, is completely dominating the tablet market. But I mean, I think it's still early days. The, the digital music player market, which is owned by, it still is owned by the iPod and not owned like 51% or 40%, owned like, you know, 70, 80% uh, and continues to be that way. And to do that, I don't think Apple could have owned the digital music player market without the range that it has in its line. They don't have a million miles. Shuffle, Nano, Classic Touch. They had Mini in there. It's plot about the Nano. Like, it's not a lot of models, but it's a, it's a range spanning thing. You want an iPod? 
we have a range of them. And they tweak the range, and sometimes the Nano looks like a little watch thing, but it was bigger before, and it's got a touchscreen or it doesn't, and the iPod Touch is really not an iPod except for name only. And like, But you can quibble about the details, but they dominated the digital music player market, and they needed more than one model. If they'd stuck with that hard drive-based classic, they would not have owned the market. Yeah. The Mini cracked it open for them because it was a little bit cheaper. Not that much cheaper, just a little bit cheaper. And you got way less storage, but it came in colors. Like, And then the Nano it was really opening the floodgates, and the Shuffle was like, let's get you in the door. You need that range in the line. The phone line pretty much has that range using their old model technique, 3GS, uh, you know, the, the 4 and the 4S, and then assuming they'll shift those down somehow. You've got a, you've got your free with contract phone. You've got your $99 phone. you got your flagship phone. They can maybe use a little bit more diversity, maybe a couple more prepaid things in there, and then just keep shuffling the lines down. But they have that a little bit covered. But the pad, they kept the two around, so now you've got two items there smaller lower price point will help there i think they do need to flesh out that lines but amazon is clearly in the camp of like flesh out we're gonna you're not gonna be able to stumble through the amazon site <laughs> without seeing and they don't and they don't really care if like you stumble upon like the the 119 dollar paper white kindle and that's the one you buy and it's like oh oh maybe i shouldn't have bought that one maybe i should have bought the one with the keyboard the people people who they are their ideal customer do not care they're like no oh, this one looks good i'll buy this one it's cheap i can get it and they'll get it and they'll be happy with it and they're not gonna be like oh no you shouldn't if you had got that one with the 3g but without the you know, they, that's not amazon's ideal customer they don't want someone who cares that much about the device they want somebody who just buys it is happy with it uses it to buy their stuff and like they said you know according to them they're happy if you just use that for years and years as long as you keep buying those books and you're happy with your device, and you, you know, you said, do you like your Amazon Kindle? Have you ever met anyone who has a Kindle who you see reading it, and you ask them, do you like your Amazon Kindle? And they say, no, I hate no. it. Like, they love yeah. it. People love their Kindles. The only person who says they hate their Kindle would be like me, because I do <laughs> hate my Kindles, but I still have them, right? It's only nerds. Regular people, they buy it, and they love it. Uh, if you see them using it, that means they didn't immediately throw it away. Uh, so Amazon's diversity is probably a little bit overblown, but it may be appropriate for what I think is their model, is that they just they just want to be there for you when, when, when it comes time for you to look for something and they want to have something that's at a price you can afford that you're like, oh, this looks good, right? <laughs> and that, the big yeah. slider with like, look, you can go from here all up to there, they, that's, that's what consumers think, look, because then they get to go like, oh, now I'm, now I'm a shopper, now I'm picking. I can, <laughs> this thing scrolls to the left and there's like a $60 one and I can go all the way up to there and... I feel like I'm choosing, and I'll pick that one, and you'll be perfectly happy with it. Uh, so, there's. I think Apple Apple needs to diversify to uh, to compete here. It should not diversify as much as Amazon, though. Uh, and Amazon may Amazon could benefit eventually from a little bit of simplification. What I'm worried about when I saw this big product line, and I think I tweeted, was that I really hope Amazon predicted the product mix correctly, because you have to sort of when you're manufacturing products like this, you have to sort of predict okay, most people are going to buy this model and then the second most people are going to buy this model because you have to sort of do your manufacturing ordering up front and say, okay, our, this, we're going to pre-order this number of parts for this thing and this number of parts for that thing. So if they mispredicted, if it turns out that like 90% of the people buy the paper white and 3% buy the $500 model and they predicted it like the opposite, they're going to have supply problems. I mean, they're not selling iPhone-like numbers of these devices, so maybe it won't be that big of a deal. But it's really difficult to predict the product mix when you introduce this many products. Like, for, for crying out loud, there's, there's like three different 7-inch tablets. I mean, how many, how many different 7-inch, like, not just different, different. Like, they have the old 7-inch, and then they have the new 7-inch, and then the 3G, and uh, it's just a different amounts of uh, memory and everything. So it's difficult for Apple to predict, even with its small number of models, what the mix will be. And Amazon just has so many devices that 
they are vulnerable to mispredicting that mix and not having enough of what turns out to be the most popular model. But uh, it could be that they're getting good at this and they know probably what people are going to sell. So I'd say watch for that. Watch for stories around Christmas time to see whether like a particular model of, of the Kindle thing is are sold out. And again, since we have no idea how many they sell, we won't know, oh, they predicted the mix right, they're fine, or maybe it's just that they're not selling a lot of them because they're not forthcoming with those uh, those numbers. Uh, and one one uh, one more Kindle thing at a place where uh, Amazon is shaming Apple with the uh, the kid timing thing. Did you see that? No, what is that? Kindle free time, they call it. So you, it's like parental controls, and you can configure how much time the device is allowed to be used, like per day or whatever, for different activities. So they showed the little picture. It says reading books unlimited because everyone knows that books are good for your children and everything else is bad unless you grew up in the 19th century and then novels are trash and your children should not be allowed to read them. But anyway, uh, unlimited time for reading books, two hours a day of watching television and 30 minutes of playing games. And the, the device locks you out after you meet those limits. So you, what they're basically doing is acknowledging the fact that kids love these tablets and they'll just sit on them all day and play. And they are putting in a, a software mechanism to limit their time with the device. So you say you can use it as long as you want if what you're doing is reading books, but only 30 minutes of games a day or whatever. And this is another place that Apple should have gone first. I'm, does iOS have some kind of parental controls? I believe it does for like not letting you launch apps that are 17 plus and other stuff like that. But this time-based thing with the little sliders, as far as I'm aware, feel free to email me if I'm not, Apple has no equivalent to that. And they should have because Apple was the first company to, to field the tablet that kids go gaga over and want to use constantly, <laughs> right? So why is Apple not the one coming out with this? It's a software feature. There's no reason they couldn't have done it. Uh, Amazon got there first. Out appling Apple, and it's and by the way, it's also too late to all to stick these into iOS six. So, so here's yeah. I mean, this is I've, I've found a link that kind of describes how this thing works, and it, it really is a nice idea. And you know what's funny? I was uh, at the at the house the other day, flipping around on these. Uh, I have this awful. I don't even use that TiVo. That's a whole other topic. But I have this awful uh, DVR that the cable company sent out and if you start flipping through the channels like i was thinking about this and when i saw the kindle free time thing i thought how cool this is and i wish it like the regular dvr has this now my kid can't read yet the way that he would have to to look at some of these titles but like adult titles for like the adult shows with their novel titles and i'm sure you've seen if you've ever flipped through like there, you can't, can you block those from showing up on the list? In other words, content, it's not just about seeing the content. It's about knowing that the content is out there. Yeah, it's the metadata. Metadata is already not child appropriate. <laughs> right. Uh, that's exactly, exactly right. And it seems like this is the first step to, to re, they, they really did reinvent the parental controls with this. And it's, I'll put the, they have a press release about it that I'll put into, uh, into the notes, but it's, it really is cool. And like you're saying, it is too late to get into iOS 6. Someone's sending me a screenshot to uh, Mac OS 10, which has much more extensive parental oh, yeah. controls. If you've ever looked into those where you can limit when times they're allowed to be on the computer, which individual applications they're allowed to launch. But it's still kind of a computery PC type interface where uh, applications on the Mac are not broken down into nice handy categories because Amazon's ecosystem on the Fire is so small. They can say, look reading we know what you're going to do that with is because it's only our reading app and like web browsing and like they 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 put things into bins and say here that this is what parents want to know how long can you play games how much can you watch movies how much can you read books and 
they'll just bin everything into those categories and you know, whatnot. So the parental controls on Mac are just like, okay, which applications are they allowed to launch and what times they allowed to be on and when do they have to stop and on school nights versus weekends. And uh, but I was asking about iOS more, like because I'm, maybe it is hard to get your kids off of Macs once they get into that, but iPads are just kid magnets and you cannot unglue your children from that. So, I mean, there's an argument to be made that like this is a parental discipline issue and not something to be solved with software, mm. but parents could use a little help, right? Yeah, like, oh God. I feel yeah. like if, if I had... One of these devices, like, you know, either given to my kid or hand me down for the kid or it was just one of ours they got to use and they became obsessed with it. You know, you can make the rules, but then have to have that backup enforcement. It's a belt and suspenders approach. Uh, I, I just feel like this is a feature that Apple should have come up with first, but didn't. So Amazon is shaming them a bit there. Do our last sponsor and then maybe you've got a, another couple topics or two. I've got a whole other big giant topic. But I don't know if it's going to fit. Our last sponsor today, SourceBits, mobile app development house. You have an idea. It's simple. You know what? I, I like it because we have simple sponsors that are easy to understand and, and, and do one thing really well. And what these guys do really, really well is they make really amazing applications. It doesn't matter if it's a web app, an Android app, or really their specialty iOS apps. You bring them your idea. You say, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to do. And they, they make it. They make it happen. They can tie all these different things together. You want to come out with an iOS app. You want to come out with an Android app. You want to come out with whatever. They'll come out and they'll make it happen. You give them your idea and they turn it into reality. And it, it, it really is astounding. They have tons of great resources. And it doesn't matter if you've got a big application or a small application. You can come to these guys and you can say, build this thing for me. And you get the same level of developers and expertise and experience that uh, that that a, a million dollar contract would come to get from them. That's what's so great about their infrastructure. You get all the advantages that the big guys are going to get, even if you have a, a, a small project for a few thousand bucks. So go check them out, sourcebits.com. You can learn about what they do and how their process works, how they involve you in it. And uh, they really, really are great folks. They're long, long, long time supporters of uh, a five by five too. So go check them out, sourcebits.com. I know what we need to talk about. What's that? This will be our last chance to make predictions for the September 12th event. September 12th, the uh, iPhone, new iPhone, whatever it's called, we're assuming it's 5 because the shadow in the 12 is a 5, will be released. And this is where John Syracusa will make his predictions and this year he has announced publicly that he will be wagering for each prediction $100. And he will give away $100 for each, uh, to a charity for each wrong prediction. Go ahead and begin. In the immortal world to David Letterman, please, no wagering. <laughs> so what, uh, oh. what's the, what's, wh- where do you want to start with this? What is the, first, let's start with the name of the device. What will the device be called? Will it be an iPhone, the new iPhone, iPhone 5? I mean, it's pretty clear it's going to be the 5, right? Yeah. you got to, you got to put your money on iPhone 5 yeah. now. Like, no matter, regardless of what you think it should be called or what you think, you know, oh, the 5 is a mislead or whatever, if you are a betting man, just based on the probabilities, like, yeah, you're right, they could, it could be a misdirect. It could be five different products. It could be God knows what. But, like, the smart, you know, the obvious choice, let's not go crazy here, is iPhone 5, right? Uh, and but even before that, we're assuming that, this will be an iPhone event. I didn't remember looking at the text. Does the text actually say, come see, and we're going to introduce a new iPhone? 
I only looked at the image. No, and it does the, not. Uh, it just does not say that at all. The iPhone word, iPhone or phone, nothing like that appears. Yeah, but anyway, we're all assuming you know it's time for the new iPhone. It's going to come out, right? Uh, I'm going to predict that it will look like all of those pictures that we've been seeing. Uh, unlike the wedge case where the new phone came out, it was not wedge shaped. It had nothing to do with it. I believe in this case, all those leaked phones and cases and everything were accurate, and that is more or less. You know, plus or minus like the various mock-ups that people made out of fake plastic and stuff like that. You know, there's a lot of those going around the web too. But they're all based on the idea that it's going to look like, you know, sort of a single-piece metal back with the radio transparent regions top and bottom, uh, a taller screen, uh, the new connector, the headphone port on the bottom, like all that stuff. That is my prediction that that they will introduce phone looks like that. If they don't, and as I said on Twitter, if the new iPhone comes out and it looks nothing like this, just like the iPhone 4 looked nothing like that crazy wedge thing, or the 4S rather, looked nothing like the crazy wedge rumors and everything like that, then I will say this, whoever was behind this, whether it was Apple's counter, counterintelligence operation or someone else, pulled the wool over the entire internet's eyes. That would have been one, one of the best Mr. X internet hoaxes ever because these sources for this iPhone 5 stuff have been from everywhere. It is not impossible to do this. It is not impossible to just make up stuff out of thin air and make the entire net be convinced. <laughs> right. of, uh, but this would have been quite a feat. Uh, someone asked in the, in the chat room if I saw the, the Chinese knockoff. Like they're already making knockoffs of the rumored phone. Like even right. before the actual phone You can go to China out, and buy uh, buy an iPhone five, and they they don't even exist yet. Right. Is it you know? It just looks like what they think it's going to look like. But I, I think that is the case. That's what the smart money is on. It's called an iPhone five. It looks like all the rumors we've seen. Those parts are all real or realish. And that's what the thing ends up looking like. Taller screen instead of wider. Uh, in the time since we've discussed many times about what are they going to do with the other apps, I'm coming down pretty strongly now on the side of they're just going to letterbox the other apps. Like if you don't update your app, you just won't take up the full height of the screen, but your app will run perfectly as is. That now seems like obvious to me. That's what they have to do. Uh, I was someone pointing out the room that they patented it in China. Like they put patents on the unreleased phone. Yeah, we'll, we'll see how that works out for them. I heard Apple has a couple of lawyers uh, and probably some that understand Chinese as well. <laughs> right, there's a couple. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think I'm, I'm too worried about Apple there. Uh, the new connector, I think that's real. I'm happy about it. I hope it's real. Uh, LTE, yes, of course, the new phone will have LTE. If it doesn't, there will justifiably be crazy, angry stories about Apple. Like, there's always unjustifiable ones. Oh, 4S, that, that just added the letter S to the 4. This phone is no good. And then it sells a bazillion of them, right? So, But if they come out with a non-LTE iPhone 5, the press will go crazy and justifiably because like you have to have LTE to play like their iPads have it. I think it's going to have LTE, but that would be quite a story if it didn't. Uh, what else about the phone camera stuff? I don't haven't seen anything really particularly exciting there. I'm sure they brag about their camera and try to make all their cameras slightly better. There was the big kerfuffle over the Nokia camera where they faked both the still and video photographs in their press conference. This is how not to do marketing, folks. Like, I think it probably is a really impressive camera in those new uh, Windows Phone things. But it's now completely overshadowed by your stupidity of faking. Like, don't fake the pictures. I'm sure it's a good camera. Just take real pictures. Like, you know, we'll be happy with the real. Anyway, uh, I don't think there's anything better with that. Bigger, uh, Bigger battery and better battery life. I think the battery life will probably be almost a wash because, as someone pointed out to me on Twitter today, the new iPhone, if all the rumors are to be believed, although it is taller than the existing iPhone, it actually has less volume because it's thinner. Uh, so if you have less volume, 
can you make the battery bigger? Can you shrink everything else to be smaller? I'm assuming battery life is going to be pretty much a wash. With the LTE and everything and the, the decreased volume, maybe Apple will try to brag about their better battery life, but most likely they'll brag about, look, we did all this amazing stuff and it's got an A6 CPU and it's got all this and the battery life hasn't gotten worse. That is probably what I expect from them. The new headphones rumor. Did you see that one? Yes, I sure did. And I asked Jim Dalrymple about that this week on uh, on Amplified to try and get an idea from him. If You know, his little confirmation, yep, or nope. But he wouldn't. What did you get? He wouldn't do Nothing? It. No. He, what he said is, they sure do look like the kind of, <laughs> the kind of headphones. I'm not paraphrasing, but... You know, they sure do look like the kind of uh, headphones that Apple might make if they were going to make one. And they'd probably introduce them with an iPhone, but who who knows? I, I, I think he does know. He didn't really confirm it, but I, I think he, you know, he pretty much does know. And I think that, uh, I think those are the real deal. What do you think? I, I think that new headphones are due. Whether those are the real headphones or not, it's time. Like, Apple redesigns its earbuds periodically, and now is time for them to redesign the earphones. It's been a while since the last redesign. The current design has problems that we all know about, like that little rubber ring that, that provides some nice positive grip in your ear, eventually rubs off, and then it provides some nice plastic sharp edge scratching in your ear, which is not good. Uh, so they need new headphones. The ones in that video look weird to me. Well, they look um, weird, but they couldn't, couldn't you say innovative? They look uncomfortable. They look larger. They look more elongated, and they look like they have a sharp edge that will annoy me. So I hope those aren't the real earbuds. I can't handicap it at this point, though. Like, just with the one video, so close to the event, it's hard to know. I really hope those are not the new headphones, and if they are, I hope they're actually comfortable. Again, it's hard to tell from looking at a video, but I do think Apple needs to redesign its it has been so It has been a long time since Apple did anything with the earbuds, and the last little update that they did was not that great. Yeah, they just did the, like the little remote clicky yeah. thing, right? Yeah, and then yeah. they they actually changed that, and they the the way that it works, they changed the little clicky so that it there's little sort of it, you used to have that the headphone wire would go right into the little clicky thing, and the edges of it were not reinforced. So then they added some reinforcements around that so that they had like a little bit of extra cabling wrap around it, and it's a little better, but. Yeah, my, my Apple earbuds are actually fraying at the end, like the little strain relief thing at the end that, where the headphone thing plugs into the device. That is kind of going on me. Yeah. So I don't know. So I, I, I say there is a uh, uh, most likely there will be new earbuds. I'm going to say an over 50 percent chance. But I think those particular headphones are 50 percent chance at best based on just me seeing this one video very close to the event. No insight info. All this, by the way, is no, I have no insight info. I'm just looking at the same rumor sites you are. I'm just making guesses. So I'm not like Jim. I do not have any information that I'm secretly hiding or hinting at. So don't try to read the tea leaves for this. Uh, NFC, I buy the Anantech argument. I don't think they would try to jam an NFC antenna into those small spaces. The reasons why it should be bigger make sense to me. I'm going to say no NFC. Yeah, I, I, I think that I, I'm, I'm totally with you. I've talked to the other guys about it this week. No, no NFC. Yeah. And, you know, like I said, Apple doesn't speculatively put in pieces of hardware unless they had a big plan for it. And if they had a big plan, it seems like we would have heard about it because these days Apple's partners cannot keep their mouths shut. Even the people they don't actually partner with, like CBS is blabbing years ago, like we were talking to Apple about doing TV. Like it's not even a deal that happened and they can't keep their mouth <laughs> right. shut about it. 
So, yeah. So if they were doing some sort of NFC, they feel like we would have heard about it because they'd have to have a bunch of partners. Otherwise, why the heck is the point of having this in the machine? Uh, so we assume that's that's the new iPad and obviously, you know, iOS 6. We already know about that. Uh, will there be any new fancy features on iOS 6? Mm, probably not. I don't like like you're cool. saying you're saying something that has not been has not been revealed. revealed. Yeah, it doesn't seem like there could be. Right. It's too late. Well, no, I mean, it's it's really not too late, because if you think about it like this. And here's my theory on that. I don't know what those things would be, by the way. I have no no clue. But this is something I think they could do. Let's say that the event, we know the event's going to be on the 12th. It's probably, when do you predict the phones will be available to purchase or and or will start shipping? Like 21st? Yeah, I think they could do it before the end of the month. I mean, is, I, in this case, as seems to be the case with the, the new Windows 8 phones, the holdup is going to be software, not hardware. Because I think the hardware is like, they're ready. The machines, right. the machines are running right now as we speak, right? So I, I think it's just going to come down to when is iOS 6 ready and the software could possibly hold up the hardware, but it seems like they should be able to go by the end of the month, right? I think so. And so here's what I think about that. It is probable that if they were going to release a new feature, that they could announce a new feature, they're saving, they're holding the feature back, they're going to announce a new feature at the event. Nobody's seen it before. No developers have seen it before. No testers have seen it before. But then later that day, they, they, it, it becomes available in what will essentially become the, the final beta, the gold master of iOS 6. So that they're, they, and that would, they would still have a week or two, maybe more, for people to get it and start testing it. And if they're feeling fairly confident about whatever the feature is, that's plenty of time for them to get in there and, and fix the bugs, assuming everything else with iOS 6 is most of the way baked. So I, I, think, I think they I could... I think you're very, very optimistic. I'm at, yes. I, however, I don't think that they're going to announce anything new. I'm saying that, that they could. And it wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me if they came out with something that nobody's seen yet, especially if there's something... We, I'm with you in thinking it's not going to be NFC, but if there's something else that they really want to showcase with the, with the hardware, something new that they're doing, something new that they've come up with, that, that it is possible. Well, part of this is, I think the problem is that neither one of us can think of what that thing might be. And without something to focus our thoughts on, it's hard to pin down this hypothetical because like we both feel like we know what the hardware is going to be. So there's no secret thing inside the hardware. Like, oh, it's magnetic. It sticks to your ceiling or it has inductive charging. Like we feel like we would have heard about that, <laughs> yeah, right? Definitely. Uh, but since there's no hardware feature and software thing, we can't think of what it would need except maybe like transit directions, like they changed their mind on that or something. Right. Uh, I don't know. So I'm, it's hard to pin down. I'm looking at uh, Will Haynes' great iOS version history release date graph. It's yeah. willhaynes.com. Do you have that in the show notes? iOS version history. No, I just pulled it up now. You can throw it in there. I don't have my bookmark, but in Chrome. What is it? Will, Will Haynes what? Dot com? I'll add it to the show notes. Right. Here we go. Uh, there. Uh, and this has the graphs of how long it's taken for each iOS beta to come out. And if you look at the iOS 6 line. Yeah. You can see it's got like there could be 30 days to go if it takes as long as iOS 2. I mean, right. iOS 5 took a long time, so there could be even more than a month. That's why I said like the software could be the limiting factor here. Because if you think that iOS 6 is going to take a similar time to iOS, you know, 2 or 5, like it's that magnitude of release, yeah. then it's got like 15 more days, maybe 30 more days to go. But, you know, iOS 4 took less time than this already. So, you know, I don't know. It's that the software is the wild card in terms of the shipment date because we all assume you know this thing is shipping with iOS six. I don't think they could ship it with five. That's not going to happen. Oh right, come so, on, that's not that's ridiculous. 
Well, I mean, they shipped the iPad with three. So, you know, like, sometimes it's like, Star Wars is not ready. Sorry, we got to go. We got to go. We're shipping the iPad with three. It'll be stuck with three for a little while, but it's more important to get the iPad out. So I don't think that's going to happen. But, yeah, I think it'll just delay it because they have plenty of time. Like, what they want is they just want this phone to, you know, be ready for the holiday season like all their other stuff. So the next question is, uh, did we cover everything with the phone? I think we did. I think so. Uh, the, the next question is, all right, what what else? Anything else? Is that it? Is it just a phone? Like, has the whole event... You know, this is our number one selling product. This is where we make all our money. This is the new iPhone. We increased the number from the last model. So, so it's one more now, isn't it? Isn't that really important? The case is different. It's the iPhone 5. It's new. It's awesome. It has a taller screen, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And that's it. They leave the stage. Thank you. Good night. Yeah, done. Drop the mic. Walk away. It could be. Uh, what has me thinking that there might be something else is... Like, how many events do you get before Christmas? You get this event and the rumored event the iPad, where they're going to yeah, introduce the, iPad, the smaller uh, iPad. iPad Junior. Right, in, in October or something like that. But is that, that's, that's all the events you get. Like, they can't, they're not going to do a November event. It's too late by now. Yeah, You've got to do a you holiday know what? event. I mean, I think they could. I think they could come out. I'm, I, I don't think they will. But I think if... Okay, well, let me turn this around and say, when are they going to announce the Retina IMAX? IMAX, Retina IMAX, you not not this year. Not this year. That question. What about <laughs> no, what yeah. about the Retina thirteen or eleven inch MacBook Airs? Uh, I'm going to also say not this okay, year. Okay, what about the thirteen inch MacBook Pro that is going to have a Retina? I don't think. I think that thing. Let me put this I don't way. Think this, I, I have a lot. Let me let me put it this way. I have some confidence that we will see a thirteen inch Retina MacBook Pro soon. Maybe before I mean, people are expecting to see it. There's no reason they can't make this. I mean, obviously, like they're making the 15-inch Retina. I, I feel confident the, we'll see that soon. Yeah. All right. So there's no reason they can't make this. But the, the question, the reason I was getting back to the events is we know there are certain products that they want to have ready for the holiday season. All right. And you only get a couple chances to do that. You can't just keep having event after event. So if they don't put, for, if, we, if as we all assume, they don't put the iPad mini in this event and it gets its own event, then you've got... Everything else that you want to announce before the holiday season, and where do you put it? Do you put half of it in this event and half of it in the rumored October event? Do you put it all in the October event, and this is just about the iPhone? Like, you have to decide how to distribute these things. And it really has little to do with, like, when the hardware and stuff is ready. Because you could do an announcement now and an announcement in October, and they could all be available on November 1st. And it's still, it's not great, but you're still basically in time for the holidays, right? If you just have your manufacturing ready to go there. So, So the question is, what do they need ready for the holiday season? I think they actually need new iPods, not because the iPods are so amazing and innovative and going to change and stuff like that, but just, be, you know, just give them a refresh because this is the one time the iPods get to shine. They're, they're selling way less now. If you look at the graph of them, it's like, it's like a big hump with spikes all over it, and each spike is Christmas. Uh, so a new iPod Touch is an example. Clearly, it has to happen. That's not really an iPod. It's an iPod in name only. Uh, does that go in this event, or does it go in the rumored October event? I think if anything is going to be in in this event, it would be iPods, and particularly the iPod Touch, because uh, that would lead leave the rumored <laughs> October event. Historically, John, when have we yeah. seen the iPod Touches announced? Have they been announced historically with the iPhone? I can't remember. They're usually with the iPod events in September. 
like the, the tra- old traditional iPod, but like that that's off like now. But it used to be every September there's new iPods when iPod was like Apple's big important thing. And that's when you'd get the touch. And the touch stayed there even as the iPhone announcements moved to the separate thing. But the, the, the world has turned now and now it's like pff, iPods, who cares, right? It's all about the iPad and the iPhone. And so where does the iPod touch land in that? Does it stick with the iPods that no one cares about anymore? They don't even they don't even get the September event, like the September event we all assume is gonna be about the phone. Or does it go to an October event? Well, there was a rumor, John, that came out sometime earlier this week that was basically saying that the there will be an iPod refresh, and they had pictures and other things to go along with it, new, yeah. new colors. Do you think that will even be mentioned in or during <laughs> this event, or will it just be like website has some new stuff? Well, that that's what, you know, I think they have to rev them because the holidays are coming up and you got to do it. And the question is, you know, where do they go? Do they get any event? Do they get no event? Do they go in this event? If anything's going to be combined with... Here's what I'm getting at. I don't think they'll combine the iPad and the iPhone. Like, you could do one blockbuster event like that. You could do it, but you wouldn't have the invite having a big five. Because the iPad mini Apple, I feel like, is going to press like it's the second coming, right? And same thing with the iPhone 5. So those guys got to be separated. And and then it's just a question of what gets in the other events, if anything. And I feel like if you're going to do a rev on the iPods... Why not throw them in as the like the lead into the iPhone thing? Yeah, I mean, it would Today, seem you know, to go nicely because they're all little portable devices. Here are revisions. They got new colors. They're kind of neat, and it fills the time for you know. The second half is all about the iPhone, and it's exciting, and and, and you're done. And that's this thing. And then the next one is iPad Mini, and that's where you stuck all your Mac announcements, if any. Right. So if if you <laughs> if you feel confident that there's going to be a Retina 13 inch. Like, you know, Apple wants to sell Macs during the holiday season as well. And that 15-inch Retina MacBook Pro is still pretty expensive. It's a $2,000 machine. If they want to get out a line of revised, cheaper Macs so that people can go in and say, I want a Mac laptop for Christmas, uh, they can come out of there with a model that has a Retina screen. You're right. Now would be the time to do it. Not in this event, but in the October event. Or maybe in no event at all. But, like, the Retina screen, I feel like, is, it warrants an announcement. They're not going to silently add it to the to the 13-inch model or anything like that. So... Retina iMacs, I don't think they can afford to put a Retina screen in. Because remember, these iMacs have gotten pretty big. They've they've grown gigantic in their in their old age. It used to be you could get like what was that, a twenty inch model, and then a twenty four, and then it's like twenty four and twenty seven, and they're, they're just huge. And I, you know, you can't you can't drive a Retina twenty four inch double resolution screen off any reasonable video card. Uh, and it would cost; it would just cost too much money. So I think we have to wait next year for any really big retinas. But going down the line, can they put one in the 13-inch Air and make a retina? They could. Can they put it in a 13-inch MacBook Pro? Uh, they could. Uh, you seem to think they will. I'll take your word for it. Uh, but I think that's not this event. Like, I, I don't think they're going to start. Yeah, we'll see. Well, maybe if you have actual inside information, I'm just predicting. But if I if I had to if I with no inside information, I would say this event is revised uh, iPods, including the iPod Touch and on the iPhone, and the next event would be iPad and revised Macs. But if you know, it could be reversed. It could be iPhone and then revised revised Macs and then iPhone and then the iPad and the iPods in the next event. And we're all just assuming there's going to be a next event, right? We're all just assuming there's going to be a smaller iPad, and we're assuming there's going to be a next event. All this is speculation, but uh, that, I think, is the mix of products that we have due before Christmas. Rev the iPods, give us a smaller iPad, rev whatever Macs you think are going to sell, sell in large numbers this year, uh, and then you're set for your holiday season. That Apple has in the past done this thing, which always struck me as weird, where like all the nerds know there's a new awesome model coming out, 
but Apple knows they can't make it for the Christmas holiday season, so they just hold it for the next year. Yeah. And then like there's that uncomfortable period after December where you're like, geez, we could we could announce this on January first. People would flip out though. Because like they just got under the tree this awesome thing, you know, and well we have we have like a retina iPad, but let's not let's talk about that now. We'll just we'll just let it February maybe. <laughs> All right. March. People will have forgotten by then. They won't feel so bad. Like I don't think that's happening this year. I think they have stuff ready to go for the holiday season. I think the iPad mini is one of those things, as is the iPhone 5. And the revised Macs, like, I don't think people are that excited about them, but they do want to have some sort of revision. So when people go in and say, I want a Mac laptop this year, they can come out with something that they really love that's modern. And if you think that's going to be a 13-inch Retina MacBook Pro, that is a perfectly valid choice for them to do. Although I think a 13-inch Air would be even better. Because God, like we all say, thirteen inch Air is the go to laptop now. Yeah, pre pre Retina, but now that the Retina's out. I was like, oh, you can't even look at that thing anymore. You know? <laughs> yeah. So, thirteen inch Retina MacBook Air would become the new default. So you're going to buy a Mac laptop. This is the one you want. I'll tell you uh, what. So really I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. What the path is going to be. The right. fir- the first thing we're going to see is the thirteen inch MacBook uh, Retina MacBook Pro. That's the first thing that we'll see. Then after that. I would not be surprised if we see some kind of, and I'm going out on a, on a wing here, on a limb, as you would say. And I think, I think we'll see the Retina IMAX. Retina and, IMAX? What makes you think that? I'm just saying. Do you and have actual information? I'm just saying. Uh, I'm not crazy I, to me. I won't say that crazy. I'm, I, maybe it's crazy. I'm not confident in the IMAX. I am very confident in a 13 inch uh, MacBook Pro. And, and, I think I think we will not see Retina MacBook Airs for a while. This is my. Do you think it's a battery issue? Conclusion. I, 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 I yeah. I think I think it's a few things. I think on the one hand they are going to want to move to Retina for everything. I mean that's clear. That's the direction that they're going. Yeah. But I think there is a battery for sure issue. I think there is also probably a uh, a. I don't know how much of a cost issue. Certainly a cost issue. I don't know if a weight would be an issue. Um, but I also think at a minimum there, they want to make a differentiation between, uh, between the pro products and the non pro products. And right now, uh, MacBook pros are, are where the retinas are going to go. People in the chat room are asking, what is first, Retina MacBook Air or Retina iMac? That's is asked by C. Franco, C. Franco two. What do you think? You think the Air, Air first? Air, Air first. Unless it's unless it's some intractable power thing that I don't see. Because uh, I know the Retina screens take more power, but is it like is it that much that like you know we can't we can't get that in air? Like battery again, battery technology won't budge. Like we know eventually the iMac screens will become affordable like that that'll happen but if it's some sort of battery issue where they just can't they can't keep that slim 13 inch air and power right now yeah, I, don't, I don't think they'll you know. i don't think they'll get that for a while but i'll tell you what i'll tell you what else in this kind of a category i had a uh 24 inch apple led cinema display and i have this new retina macbook pro and I've really been enjoying this. this is the first computer, not just screen, but the first computer I've ever used where I like, I can look at it all day long and I don't get any eye strain from it. Like I even got eye strain from the 24 inch cinema display and I don't, I don't get it from this thing. This is the most wonderful 
And people have asked, well, what resolution? I just use whatever the default best for Retina, whatever it's called, just the standard thing that it comes in when you turn it on. I tried the other ones, but this is, this is the best. It's just so wonderful. But I thought, you know, I wouldn't mind having some more re- screen real estate. I'm not really like a two-monitor kind of person, but I thought I would try it. And after a few hours, I just, I was like, oh, this is, you can't go from a Retina to a regular screen. And I think that Apple, my prediction is that it, Apple will eventually come out with a Retina screen that's, you know, like a full size, maybe it's a 24 inch, but I think they've got to do it. I think they've got to do it. And I think that might be tied in somehow with the, uh, the MacBook Pro, I'm sorry, the Mac Pro or the rumored Mac Pro release in 2013. I would not be surprised if that's when we see some larger retina displays that that i can get on board with because they said you know tim cook said i know people are disappointed we didn't talk about the mac pro but we have some really interesting things in 2013 now if you notice that doesn't he didn't say that they're going to have new mac pros in 2013 he just said i will have a preface about people being disappointed about not having a macbook pro and then i will say we'll have we're going to have some really interesting things for those people or whatever right just because it's interesting to the same people who are interested in the MacBook, the Mac Pro doesn't mean it's going to be a mac pro it just merely means that apple thinks that the customers who want a mac pro will also like this other thing that could be a Mac Pro. That's the obvious interpretation, but it could be anything. But pushing it off to that year it completely makes sense. Like, all right, so the, it, the problem with the big Retina like screens, like on, on an iMac and everything, is you, it's just too many pixels. Like DisplayPort, the current DisplayPort standard cannot push that many pixels through it. Uh, and, and on an internal display on an iMac, you don't have necessarily that problem. But you got to have some interface. And then you have a question: What GPUs can handle you know a four thousand by two thousand five hundred pixel like? It's a, it's a limitation in technology that the Retina MacBook Pro can barely handle that screen res. Like at certain points, the GPU gets like it chugs a little bit from scrolling. It's better in mountain line than it was in line because you're really pushing the limits of what a mobile GPU can handle. So if you're going to have a big 24 or 27 inch Retina display, it makes sense that the first thing that even has the capability of driving that is some big, super expensive Mac Pro or Mac Pro equivalent machine. Uh, that's why I'm so down on the iMac because unless they're going to make a smaller iMac, like a 20-inch Retina mm-hmm. iMac. Yeah. If you make it, like the smallest size it comes in now is 24, right? A 24-inch Retina iMac, what kind of GPU are you going to get in there <laughs> that can handle that Can handle is that, that a, screen? Is that a rule, though? I mean, could could they ever release a iMac with a smaller screen or, or a display with a smaller screen? Like, have they ever gone backwards? I don't think they have, and that certainly seems like... that not the direction that Apple tends to go in, right? I mean, not to say that I think that would be a bad product. Like, you know, we've talked to so many people who are like, wow, the 15-inch MacBook Pro screen is so awesome. I'll just sit there and stare at that instead of my external monitor. I know it's only 15 inches, but, like, it looks so much better. That like, And I think the effect would be the same for a 20-inch iMac screen. Like, yeah, I know it's only 20 inches, but you got to see the screen. Because it would look amazing. Like, you wouldn't even have the same limitations you do for power envelope and stuff that you have in a laptop because it's a plugged-in machine. It would look amazing, but it's weird... Like, would they have to drop the 24-inch non-retina model? Did they drop all the non-retinas? There's only one iMac, and it's 20-inch, and it's retina, and that's good enough for anybody? God, I, I don't think the retina iMacs are going to be ready for this year. I think you got to wait for next year or later. Uh, and it's a, probably a safe, I would say it's a safe bet to think that the whatever the heck thing that Tim Cook thinks Mac Pro customers are going to be interested in is going to come along with big graphics horsepower and the ability to drive some crazy high-resolution, large external display and, like, revised Thunderbolt that can handle this display. Like, all that strikes me as technology that doesn't quite exist yet and that they're going to charge the nose for for this Pro thing 
and that I will be saving my pennies for <laughs> for next year. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And in, 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 without any other inside information about IMAX, I said no IMAX this year. Uh, prediction about a smaller, cheaper Retina laptop for the Christmas season seems much more likely to me. And I, that your scenario of Retina 13-inch MacBook Pro followed by iPhone 5 announcement and they're done until October, I buy that. That would make sense to me. I mean, I since you have information I don't, I'd have to defer to you and say that's that's probably more likely. Yeah. But I still like my scenario of the revised iPods and the iPhone 5. So we'll see. We'll see who's uh, who's right come the 12th. You with inside information and me with nothing. I'm assuming you agree. No IMAX on the 12th. You're just disappointed. I just think, yes, I agree. For the record, I agree with you. Yeah. Uh, It's just something I'd really like to see. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, (laughs) wishes were horses. All right. I think we're we're done for today. Yeah. And you're going to go along back to your earlier comment. You're you're still standing by. You said all the mock-ups. What I'm assuming you meant is... The small pin connector, headphone jack on the bottom. Yep. All of that stuff. Whole nine yards. The whole thing. Everything we've seen so far. And if they're not, they totally fooled me and a lot of other people. Whoever they is. (laughs) Whether it's Apple or somebody else. Do you you think that Apple's contemplating that? Or, I mean, obviously we'll know if if they've already done it. I'm going to say no. I'm with you on that. I think everything we've seen is totally accurate. Do you think it's possible that Apple will at some point start releasing things that are very, very plausibly Apple, but that they've decided strategically that they're never... And see, this is, why I don't, this is why I don't believe that. I don't believe that Apple will start to release like things to throw people off uh, because some of those ideas are, might still be good ideas. And looking back at those prototypes that Apple did years ago, you know, that we've seen come out of the Samsung trial, there, there are a lot of good ideas in there, and you can only imagine that Apple might... I mean, Apple says no to a lot of things, but I imagine that a lot of the time that they're saying no, it's not no forever. It's just no, not right now. And I don't think that they would want to come out with too much to throw people just to throw people off the trail and that they're not going to spend time, money and resources building fake things just to throw people off just to kill the rumors. Because the reality is we're the only ones that really care about these rumors the consumer just wants a new phone. They just want to give Apple money and it doesn't really matter whether it's been leaked or not. Well, I just, uh, two, two things to say on that. First is Apple has done this in the past. Remember Asteroid, I believe was the code name? They made a fake product and they <laughs> usually used it, used it to shut down thinksecret.com. Right? Not specifically, <laughs> but that's what, it, that's what it ended up happening. Right. And that was just a series of drawings. And that's all you need to do is release a series of drawings because then the, the rest of the internet and the rumor mill and the manufacturers will go to town making the, like we've seen, you know, the knockoff Chinese phone. Like, if you can get the ball rolling, you don't have to make, Apple doesn't have to manufacture parts like this. They can just let it happen. Uh, the thing arguing against that in this case is the, like the, the CNC machines that make that little metal back case is probably expensive to fake and all that stuff. But uh, So it's not like they've never done this in the past. So I don't wouldn't put it totally outside the realm, and I don't think it would take that much effort. And remember, they did it just to, like, find random leakers for some made-up product, right? Uh, and, and the second thing is, it, for them, like, accidentally releasing your good ideas and stuff, I would assume that even their ideas they don't release, they still patent to hell. <laughs> like, you know, they patent everything. Right? That's the whole thing. Like, we're deciding not to do this, but, oh, we're going to patent it. So if you copy it, you know, like, I, it seems like they could, you know, safely put misinformation out if they wanted to but 
all that being said, this does not seem to be misinformation. Asteroid was a long time ago. Apple has better things to do with its time. They've not been able to keep the parts leaks down uh, recently. The iPhone 4, obviously, they lost in a bar, which was a big problem. But even before the losing in the bar, a lot of the parts we had seen in various pieces elsewhere. The real thing I want to know, though, this is the wild card, is what the hell was the deal with the wedge? If, if several years from now someone writes a tell-all book and we find out, did the wedge have anything to do with Apple? Was it just a complete fabrication in the minds of Asian manufacturers or rumor mills? Was that a plant? Was that a scrapped Apple product? Was that a, a prototype that they bailed on? We all have no idea. So knowing what the deal was with the wedge would really help us handicap the odds of Apple putting misinformation. But as I said, I'm going with this is what the iPhone 5 looks like. Get ready for it. It's going to look just like those pictures. Now, biggest question of all, will you buy one? I uh, don't think so. It's not the phone I have objection to. It's the plans. If there are accompanying data plans that are ridiculously cheap, maybe. But no, not not this year probably. Hmm. Maybe the 5S. Maybe, you know, I'm still, <laughs> I'm still paying less than $10 a month for my phone. <laughs> wow. Tough to compete with that. I mean, yeah, obviously, I'm not expecting. I'm not going to wait for data to be, you know, eight dollars a month. You know, there's there's a, there's a continuum there. Like, but it's not it's not down to where I want yet. And especially now that my wife has an iPhone 4s, I'm not. You know, if we're together, I'm not stranded without a phone. Although she is annoyed when I grab her phone to check Twitter or whatever. But that's what marriage is about, Dan. <laughs> all right. Is that all you got for this week? That is all. All right. So uh, if you'd like to, you can. Uh... You can follow John Syracuse two different places now you've got to keep track of. On Twitter, he is Syracusa, S-I-R-A-C-U-S-A. You can also follow him on this alpha.app.net thing, also Syracusa over there. And uh, you can read his writing over on arstechnica.com. You can see all of, the, uh, all of the wonderful articles that John has carefully curated for your perusal by going to 5x5.tv slash hypercritical slash 84... It's all right there, in order, cleaned up, organized, properly formatted. So go check it out there. Thanks very much to our sponsors. I am Dan Benjamin on Twitter and Dan on this alpha app.net thing. What else we got? That's it, right, John? That's all. All right, have a good week. Exciting week coming up. Have fun. Bye, John. Bye. Bye.